When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, last show of the week, first hour of the last show of the week. You know what that means. Uh, That means it is time for you to take off the gloves. That means it is time for you to get creative, to get interesting, to think about some things that people are interested in. Because unlike the other 19 hours of the week that we're on air together, Instead of me picking what we're going to choose or what we're going to discuss, it's all on you, as long as it's in the form of a question. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. If you are listening to this program for the first time, welcome aboard because you now will have an opportunity to ask any question on any subject. And I will do my best to answer it. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. It could be questions related to Atlantic City. It could be questions related to cinema. We've got the Academy Awards coming up this weekend. And uh, we're going to talk about it with uh, my friend JFK next hour. Great film critic with com. It could be questions related to baseball. We're just a couple of weeks away, or almost a couple of weeks away from baseball season beginning, it could be questions related to uh, any hypothetical scenarios that you're curious about. If you're curious about my history at all and you want to know about something that I've done or my opinion on anything at all, now is the time to ask. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Dan in Farmingdale. Hello, Dan. Yeah, Frank, of the original five Planet of the Apes movies, uh, you know, Planet, Beneath the Planet. Sure, I know them. Uh, Return, Conquest, and uh, Battle 4. How would you uh, put them in order from best to worst, and could you give a quick rating on them? Okay, well, uh, obviously the the um, the first one is my favorite, and I, I don't think it's, there's any question that, uh, that that's, the, uh, the, that's the best, okay? Um, I like all the rest of them, but um, I'm going to say the worst. The worst is um, the battle for the planet of the apes. I thought it, I, I didn't like it. I thought it was. I thought it was. I mean, I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was a little silly, both the concept and the execution. Whereas the first one was so high concept and really just brilliant. 
I thought, uh, so uh, that's my, those are the easiest, the first and the five. Now, where do I rank uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, uh, Escape from, and, uh, you know, jur- or, and uh, Journey Back to? Um, I'm going to rank, uh, you know, I actually really like, um, I, I'm going to put Escape from the Planet of the Apes as the the next one. And then um, I'm going to put Beneath the Planet of the Apes as the third that I like. And then I'll put Conquest of the Planet of the Apes as the fourth. So I'm going to go Planet of the Apes. Then I'm going to go I'm going to go Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Then I'm going to go Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Conquest and Battle. Agreed. That's my and again, all of them I like, even the ones that I ranked uh, low, um, you know, uh, in conquest, they have uh, I think Ricardo Montalban is in it right as Caesar, uh, Caesar's handler. I got to double check that. But I used to watch all those movies over and over and over again. I love the Planet of the Apes movies. I have not seen all the new ones. I saw the uh, the first two and I liked I liked them. But uh, I don't know. It was a little too much. It was a little too heavily reliant on the on the special effects and the CGI. I think the story could have been a little bit a little bit better. I think there have been three out of the new ones, uh, maybe four. I think I saw the first two. So eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you have a question on any subject, let me say hello to Charlie in Far Rockaway. Hello, Charlie. Yellow. Hello. Yellow. Yellow. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Frank, I love your show. And Thank you. It keeps me up Thursday night much uh, later than is good for me. <laughs> um, my question is: Do you believe that there is a a inherent right, almost a contract, that in a relationship, a committed relationship, or specifically a marriage? That one spouse has the ex, is entitled to be heard or to be listened to, and how far would you? And if yes, how far does that go? You know, it's such a good question, and it's one that I've never thought about till this moment. So let me think about it. I'm going to say yes. Um, I think uh, you know I'm not going to put it in contractual terms, but. I would put it uh, to the point of of you know infinity. I think a spouse has the. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to uh, go along with what they say, but I think you should listen to your spouse, and your spouse should listen to you as long as you want to talk about whatever issue uh, that you want to talk about. So uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes. I mean, is there a limit like of being? At what point does it seem annoying and at what, you know, where, where do you, how far do you think this goes? Yeah, I, I know. I'm sure it does seem annoying at some points. I know, um, you know, when th- there are a lot of conversations that I have with my wife where she makes clear she's done uh, <laughs> listening to me. I think, you know, you need to kind of gauge the willingness of your partner to participate in that conversation. But I don't think there should be a limit. I think you should be the own, your own judge of when your words are no longer conveying meaning and they're just serving to be annoying. And look, your partner could say, 
you know, you could continue speaking, but I just want you to know um, everything that you anything that you say additionally is not only not going to change my mind, it's only making me more irritated. That's probably a pretty good cue that you should stop speaking. But uh, I uh, I don't think there should be a limit. No, I think it's an endless right to be heard and to speak. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate your kind words about the program. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Mike, the millennial in Denver. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Great to be with you. How are you? Great. Thank you. I'm well. Appreciate it. Good. Good to hear. Um, So this is actually kind of like an easy, hard question. Um, Is there any book or books that have made you kind of have like a new perspective or outlook on life? A new perspective or outlook on life, huh? Um, well, the two that come to mind, um, given the three that come to mind, the way that you frame that question, and they're all somewhat similar, right? But uh, the the way that you frame that question, the three that most immediately come to mind are Dale Carnegie's "How to Win Friends and Influence People." It's Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking, and it's Napoleon Hill's uh, Think and Grow Rich. And all three of those books are similar but different. Um, All of the strategies in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think, are something that, you know, I can tell when I meet someone that's read that book because of the way they greet you, the way they interact with you, the way they use your name, the way they speak. I can tell uh, if someone has read that book. The um, the other two books, Think and Grow Rich and The Power of Positive Thinking, they really do do such a wonderful job describing how everything in life, everything that you have, everything that you lose, really is a product of your own mind. And how uh, everything is, one, a question of perception, and two, every outcome is a result of the kind of the the approach that you take to it. And so I think if I'm going to pick, I'm going to, the way that you frame the question, change my outlook on life, those three books, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking, and Dale Carnegie's Think and Grow Rich. I, I'm just curious, Mike, do you have one that you would name? You know, I would probably say, believe it or not, The Art of the Deal by uh, Donald Trump, believe it or not. That had me kind of gave me a new perspective on a lot of different things when I read that. It's been a while, but that was one that kind of stuck with me. Well, it was a bestseller for a reason. Yeah, I have a I have a signed copy of The Art of the Deal on uh, my bookshelf. 800-848-9222. That 800-848-9222. Peter is in Washington Heights. Hello, Peter. Hello. How are you tonight? I'm well. All right. I have a Godfather question for you. Okay. It usually stumps people who think they know every line and every actor and every scene. Mm-hmm. When is Don Corleone's birthday? Vito Corleone, when is his birthday? Uh, December 7th. Oh, okay. <laughs> you got it. Thank you, Peter. Lo- love, the, love the show. Keep up the great I work. I appreciate it, Peter. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, – you have to – see, I don't know Godfather Part 2 as well as I know Godfather Part 1. But that uh, you'd have to you'd have to have seen Godfather Part Two to know that last scene. Uh, I, I, actually, it might come up earlier in the film as well. In fact, I, I it does now that I think about it. But it's that last scene where that really sits in. Sit, uh, it really sinks in that his birthday is on December seventh. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Jake is in New Jersey. Hello, Jake. 
Hi, Frank. I have a two-part question. Okay. Uh, my first part is, you know, you watched The Little Mermaids when you were a kid? I, I saw it when it was in theaters, but uh, I don't know that I've seen it since then, honestly. Okay, so Ariel, right, The Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. is is white with orange hair. And she never goes up to the surface. That's part of their, like, mermaid code. Now, if she lives on the bottom of the ocean, she should be translucent. And her hair should be translucent. She shouldn't be white with orange hair. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it is it's it's it is sort of an animated fairy tale, though, Jake. Right? I mean, I, yeah, but it has to be somewhat realistic. I mean, who would think that she could be a real mermaid if she's not translucent? Yeah, but there's also singing crabs in that in that movie, and and mermen and and warlocks and you know witches and stuff. I mean, I, yeah. Well, the witch is pretty close to translucent, at least. Yeah, you know, Jake, I have to tell you, it's not something I've ever thought about, but uh, when my wife wants to show my son The Little Mermaid, I will register for him your objection on that one. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Louie is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Louie. Yes, sir, my friend. I wanted to ask you a question about, say, that you and Curtis was in a round of Jeopardy. Who would win? Well, I... Would I think it depends on the category, right? Um, <laughs> on uh, the the categories, because there are some nights when I watch Jeopardy, and depending on if the category if the categories cut my way, I could be on the show. I mean, there are days when I get Final Jeopardy when the people on the show don't get it, and then there are other days where I can't get anything. So it really is sort of a crapshoot in terms of what the categories are. But uh, Curtis is very smart. You know, the only re- and and the only reason that I think that I might have something of an edge is because I think I might be a little quicker. I might be a little quicker at reading the clue and a little quicker at at buzzing in uh, because I have a, a long history in game shows. I don't know that Curtis has that same level of quickness at this point because he's been hitting his head in the head so many times. But I'm not going to underestimate Curtis. I think Curtis could win, but uh, I think it really depends on the categories, Louis. It depends on which, which categories played to which of our strengths? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Jeff is on Long Island. Hello, Jeff. Hey, what's going on, buddy? Uh, you tell Listen. me. You tell me, Jeff. Listen, I, I, I got a situation here, right? My son's birthday was the other day. Mm-hmm. When did the schools start teaching how to read and write scripts? Well, I know a lot of the schools have actually done away with with uh, teaching cursive. Okay, so my son got a birthday card from his aunt. So I go, read the card to me. He goes, all right, so he reads the card. What did your aunt have to say? He couldn't read script. Why are the schools stop teaching kids how to write? And read well, Jeff, it's a great question. It's a great point. And one of the uh, I, I'm of the belief and we've done whole radio segments on this and we, we, we will again soon because they're thinking about bringing it back. But um, we one of the things I'm an advocate of teaching cursive. I think it's an important uh, skill to have, even though some people believe it's totally outdated. And one of the things in uh, the Success Academy charter schools that they take a lot of pride in is that their students all learn how to read and write in cursive. And the public schools, as I understand it, don't do that anymore. So um, I think you, you may see a comeback um, of that. 
because of the movement away from chat GPT, because schools are so afraid of having typed assignments and typing's been the norm now for, I think, at least the last 15 years, because uh, there's so such a fear of plagiarism because of AI, I think you may see more teachers demanding that the school assignments are handed in in handwriting, which would lead to a need to teach cursive again. But it was done uh, because a lot of people, they say, don't don't write script anymore. They say, you know, almost all the communication you do is uh, on a keyboard or on, on a keypad of some sort. But I'm with you, Jeff. I think uh, I think they should teach cursive. I think it's a shame that they don't. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joanne in Connecticut. Hello, Joanne. Way to find out how much all the cases that they tried to bring against Trump. I mean, absolutely every single one of them, from all the district attorneys to, to whoever else, private attorneys, is costing the taxpayers. Is there any way you can find that out? You know, that is such a good question. Um, so, the, because there's several, so you'd have to basically do. Um, a freedom of information request for the Manhattan DA's case, for the New York State Attorney General's, and then for the Georgia prosecutors and the Georgia grand jury. And um, also Washington, D.C. Haven't yeah, they tried well, to? Yeah, well, I think there are estimates for things like the Mueller probe, and I'm sure there will be an estimate for the independent counsel. A lot depends on how you count, right? How you count. Um, what's an expenditure? Like if a lawyer's already working for the Department of Justice and uh, they would have ordinarily been working on another case and now they're working on this, are we counting that as an expenditure? Some people would say yes, some people would say no. I don't know the answer, but you know, it's a great question. My wife works for, and I'm sure she won't appreciate me mentioning this, but my wife works for an organization called Open the Books, which is a watchdog that uh, tracks government spending at all levels. And I'm actually, when I see her... Uh, later today, I am going to suggest that as a project for them because I think a lot of people would be interested in the answer. It's a great question, jo- uh, Joanne. 800-848-9222. We will continue. Well, I'm squeezing one more question here. Marie is on Long Island. Hello, Marie. <laughs> That's fair. That's terrible they stopped cursive writing. If I had to do it, everybody should do it. Exactly. If we suffered, everybody should suffer. Because now they don't even have, now they have Texting with all this abbreviation crap. Oh, anyway, it's a lost course. Real quick, I just was curious. It's real quick and real honest. Um, in your heart, do you believe that Biden won the election? Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I wouldn't. Uh, I didn't vote for him, but uh, yes, I, I do believe that that he won. Uh, I think the evidence is I don't want to get into a whole back and forth on this because the people that have a different view, they're 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 gung ho about this and very passionate about it. But uh, I think the evidence is incontrovertible, uh, honestly. And that's one of the things that that's fr- that's frustrating to me these days about uh, about President Trump. But uh, it's neither here nor there. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you have questions, we will continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
probably slow dancing with a bleach blonde tramp and she's probably getting thirsty right now he's probably buying her some fruity little drink cause she can't shoot whiskey right now he's probably up behind her with a blue stick showing her how to shoot a combo and he don't know Before he cheats. Today is Carrie Underwood's birthday. My wife is a uh, big fan of uh, of Carrie Underwood. In fact, uh, she and my friend Brian Silverstein's wife, Katie, they went to a concert. She's 40 years old today. Looks great for 40, right? Um, and they went to a concert in Atlantic City at the Hard Rock while uh, Brian and I went and played a little blackjack, which was a fun, fun weekend, I must say. That was pre-COVID. And uh, my wife said she was great, and she put on a good show, and she also seemed like a really good person. And you know what happened? Apparently, they lost her luggage uh, when she was flying into Atlantic City, and she had no clothes to wear for the concert. So she and her assistant went out and visited uh, Atlantic City consignment shops, and they got all her clothes at Atlantic City consignment shops that she wore at the at the concert that day, and she, and she was getting a big kick out of this. She would point to her shoes and say eighteen dollars. She point to her top, and she'd say twenty two dollars. And uh, the audience would would applaud and stuff. Her whole outfit was, I think, you know, thirty five forty dollars. It was really is really something. All right, um, we got a lot to get to throughout the program, and we are taking your calls on any subject as long as it's in the form of a question. Uh, 800-848-9222 as we do. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. The rules are quite simple. All you have to do is ask a question. Let me say hello to Joe in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, first, I just want to give you a commendation. Uh, I told my wife the four uh, guests you had on last night, and she was amazed, like that you got those guys on, and it was you know like prime time radio stuff in the middle of the night. Oh so, well, thank you. Well, did she listen um, to any of the the interviews? No, I, I fill her in every night, every morning rather, on what I pick up, the little pieces of. Well, good, uh, but know, Joe, but what good does it do me if she's amazed but not listening? Uh, she doesn't even watch TV, but she likes to uh, she likes to read. So if you write a book, I guarantee you she would she would buy it. All right. Um, well, well, she's intrigued by you. Okay. Uh, well, that's good. Not intrigued enough to listen, but just intrigued. Yes. Okay. Fair <laughs> no enough. No offense. Fair enough. Okay. None taken. Uh, I'm very faithful. I'm, I'm every night. Uh, real quick. Uh, first, quick question. Find out if, uh, if that was Sid's mom that called on the guy from like three weeks yes, ago. Yes, we, we did find out, it. and it was not Sid's mom. Uh, Sid, really? uh, Sid I, heard it, and uh, he said he was going to bring it up with his mom when she was on the show that day. I don't know that he did, but I did uh, double check with him. He said that was absolutely 100% not his mother. I owe you a beer, and what song uh, would make you stop in your tracks? Like, it, you're like, not necessarily emotional. For me, it's Tim McGraw, Live Like You Were Dying. Like a song that you're on the radio that's like, you know, makes you think about life, ponder, your family, death, anything like that. You know, that is such a good question. Um, 
I am not the biggest Billy Joel fan in the world, but there, and not, I have nothing against him, but I know some people, it's almost like a cult like following he has, almost or Springsteen like. I'm not in that uh, Billy Joel cult. That being said, he has a song called And So It Goes. Have you heard it? Yes. So, um, that song I saw for the first time in an episode of Boston Legal. That's the first time I ever heard that song. And it's in one of my favorite Boston Legal episodes. It's called Son of the Defender. And um, every everything about that episode, it, 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 it really affects me emotionally. In fact, I tried to rewatch it recently before we did the Shatner interviews because I wanted to talk to him a little bit about it. And I found myself, even though I know every frame of the episode... I found myself crying, and it was really due to the emotional resonance of this song. And then Rick Klein, who's the political director of ABC News and um, uh, somebody I know for a long time, he's an enthusiastic Billy Joel fan. He, he, he We would have him on the show more, but he's got weird, weird hours or the opposite of hours. And he said to me during the pandemic, I think he actually said this on the radio, maybe even to Joe Piscopo, he said that the... The definitive song of the COVID pandemic and the lockdown is this song. And I'll tell you, every time I hear this song, I think of both of those things. I think of that episode of Boston Legal, which I find very emotionally stirring. And I think of uh, everything that occurred during the pandemic. I think it's just such a beautiful, soulful song. Uh, Not only the lyrics, but the, the music itself. So that's the one I'm picking. That's a good choice. Thank, thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Let's, let's listen to 20 seconds of it. seems I only felt the thorns. And so it goes, and so it goes. And so will you soon, I suppose. Mm. Ah, great song. Absolutely. Great question, I might add. By the way, I I should uh, mention we do offer a prize to whomever comes up with the best, the most interesting, the most creative question, as determined not by me, but by Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and Alex Barnard. Whoever they determine uh, has the most interesting question, the most creative, the most uh, unusual. uh, That's the question that wins. 800-848-9222. Igor is in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. I got uh, first question and a second question. First sure. question is, you have told us that uh, for Lent you gave up drink. Yes. And so what I was wondering is, for next Lenten season in 2024, would you ever consider giving up making uh, a reference or mention of William Shatner during the Lenten season? And would it be harder than giving up drink? Uh well, yeah, no, I could do that. I mean, look, but what if he comes up in conversation? What if somebody asks a question about it? <laughs> No, sure, Frank. I was just pulling your yeah, leg. Yeah, I, no, I, I get the, I get it. I get it. Believe me. All right. So, Frank, now uh, on a more serious note, you know, you probably know this, the, the uh, New York representatives have put forth uh, or proposing a bill called uh, No Fame for Fraud Resolution, I guess, basically aimed at George Santos figuring that he wouldn't be able to profit from his scandal. So I wanted to ask you if, if George Santos wrote a sort of a tell-all book, and I was kind of thinking to myself, I'd call it True Lies, but if he wrote a book, do you think it would sell well? And do you think that this would actually be judged as constitutional if he challenged it in court? Um, well, I don't think the legislation is likely to pass. As I understand it, George Santos is 
actually um, is actually signing on as a as a co-sponsor of that legislation. It's kind of flipping the script on uh, the people that are trying to troll him with that. I mean, I think the people that are proposing it are doing it because, you know, they want to call attention to the fact that they don't like George Santos. They're distancing themselves from George Santos and they shouldn't be able to be lumped in with George Santos. And I get that. Now, let's assume that it does pass. Um would it be constitutional? I think it probably would be, uh, actually, because I don't see it being an infringement of freedom of speech. You know, it's an infringement on what you can you can earn. The the maybe the maybe the wiggle room is in the subjective nature of the um, of lying. Now, it's easy if you commit a crime to say, and in fact, this is already the law as part of the Son of Sam law. If you commit a crime, you can't write a book and profit from that book. But if there's no criminal conviction, I think it's a very murky area uh, in order to say um, that you're profiting from your uh, your your misdeeds or your or your dishonesty. It's a good question. I do think it would sell well because, for better or worse, these days the thing that is most important when selling a book is name recognition uh, because it guarantees you media coverage and it all translates to uh, to book sales. But I'm going to answer an, a giant I don't know on the constitutional question. I think it is, but I do think it would sell well, Igor. Thank you. But I think it's immaterial because I don't think it's likely to um, I don't think it's likely to pass. 800-848-9222 That's 800-848-9222 Joe is in Tom's River. Hello, Joe. Hello, Frank. Uh, the question I have for you, did you ever hear of a book called The Drama to Get the Child the dr- written by Alice Miller? And done in 23 languages throughout the world. Um, you're going to have to give me the title again. Pardon me? The title is Pardon Me? The, what, what is the title called, of the book? The Drama of the Gifted Child. The Drama of the Gifted Child? Yes. By Alice Miller. No, I uh, I am not familiar with it. Okay. Um, it's done in 23 languages throughout the world. Um, if you ever like to want to read something, because to me it seems like a, you're the type of person that likes to explore yourself from within. Oh, and so it's worth checking out. Yes, it is. All right. Because, uh, I, 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 your life. Really? Okay, I'll put it on my list. Thank you, Joe. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. There was a time when I actually read books, and uh, <laughs> I, I I am embarrassed at how little I'm reading in terms of books now. Now I I am still reading a lot because I read to prepare for this show, but um and and I'm reading three hours worth of email, but. Uh, I don't read books anymore. I, I'm so embarrassed by that. But I used to read minimum three books a month. Now it's been, I feel like it's been a while since I've completed a whole book. And uh, I don't know if every new parent goes through this or every new parent that works these hours go through this. But uh, I, I have to figure out a better way of uh, budgeting my time so I can get more reading in. Because I do feel as if I'm becoming more dim-witted. And these guys would certainly agree with that. 800-848-9222. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. Hey, Frank. Uh, all right. Uh, Mary, kill or fornicate, Tulsi Gabbard, Selena Gomez, Pamela Anderson. 
Ooh, uh, that's a good one. This is a very good one because I like all three, uh, but I like all three for very different reasons. Um, let's see. Um, okay. Uh, I, um, I'm, I, again, I hate to kill any of them because I think they're all very accomplished, very wonderful women. I would marry Tulsi Gabbard, um, I think. I think I would marry her. Um, and, and then I think I would, I would sleep with Pamela Anderson. And the only reason, and I like her, and I could see myself marrying her, but the fact that she's been divorced so many times leads me to think that, you know, she's a difficult person to be married to. Um, and then, unfortunately, I would, I would kill Selena Gomez. Uh, but uh, sorry to, to her, but good, that's, a tough, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But, uh, yeah, I'm marrying Tulsi Gabbard in that instance. Wow. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. James in Pennsylvania. Hello, James. Good morning. I'm from Washington County. This is Nurse Package. I want to ask you if you ever read the book written in the historian, Grand Historian Hotel, Waldorf Historian Hotel in New York. It was written by Andrew Mellon, the banker. It is located on the University of Pittsburgh Carnegie Library. It's called Taxation, the People's Business. Have you ever read it, sir? I, I have not read it. Please do and get the country straight. Okay, I, I'll put it on the list. But uh, as I said, we are we are having a, a tough time uh, Getting getting these books read in a timely manner. How dare manner. you? If uh, yeah, I've, I'm familiar with that book. Unlike the other book by uh, Alice Miller that the other gentleman wrote, uh, I have heard of uh, of of taxation, the people's business, but um, but I've not read it. So uh, and it's it's been it's published a hundred years ago, ninety nine years ago, and it's been selected by scholars as being. Culturally important and a part of the knowledge base of civilization as we know it. So that's a that's a pretty important pretty important book. So I should read that actually. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me say hello to Harvey in the Bronx. Hello, Harvey. Hello. Hello, Harvey. Yeah. How you doing? Good. The question that I have. When you get older, are some birthdays more important than others? You know, I'm not a big birthday guy, but the conventional wisdom is that the the birthdays that end in zero or that uh, bring about a new plateau are the big ones. So you got 30, 40, 50, 60. Those are all big. Then 18 is big. 21 is big. Um, I think 35 is big because you're eligible to run for president. Uh, I think um, I I think uh, sixty five is big because that's uh, uh, you're eligible for you know retirement age. Sixty seven is big because you're eligible for full social security benefits. I think fifty five is big because you're able to take out your um, you're able to withdraw from your four hundred one k without a tax penalty. But to me, they're all kind of the same. I think you should celebrate people. All the time, right? I, I like to celebrate being alive every day. I, I don't need to wait for a random day on the calendar, but I guess it's subjective. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your questions straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is Come and Get It by Selena Gomez, who did not turn out too well in the last round of questioning. Hopefully there are other questions that, uh, I don't know, where she fares better in. Uh, We are answering your questions on any subject at 800-848-9222. Coming up next hour, we're going to do a preview of the Academy Awards. And we will uh, get into that with uh, one of my favorite film critics and a a longtime friend of mine, uh, JFK, Jason Frank Konigsberg. All right. uh, If you want to comment or you have a question, 800-848-9222. Cindy is in Baltimore. Hello, Cindy. Yes. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Good. Um, My question is, if you could change the outcome of any event in history, what would it be? If I could change the outcome? Of any event right. in history, like like if if any any event in history that you would want to change the outcome. Well, I guess um, if I I guess it would be not having the planes crash into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon on September 11th. Right, a lot of people would say that. Yeah, um, and, and and it's not just because of the lives that that would have saved. But if you look at everything that developed uh, because of that, we then we had the war in uh, Iraq. We had the war in Afghanistan, which all, both of which turned out to be total disasters. You uh, and it resulted in the loss of American prestige abroad, uh, countless American lives, countless Iraqi lives, countless Afghan lives. And in this country, it was really the beginning of public acceptance of the surveillance state. People were okay with warrantless wiretapping all of a sudden, violations of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, After September 11th, people were all of a sudden ready to throw the Bill of Rights into a shredder. And uh, so I think think for all those reasons, if I could have changed the outcome of one event, uh, in addition to having uh, a pretty close friend that died on September 11th, it would be that one. Right. Well, I would see. I would go back to the very beginning, and it would be Adam and Eve not eating the forbidden fruit. Okay. Well, but then we'd all be walking around naked. Would that be? No. Would we better no. Around? No. No. We we would be in paradise. Well, I know, but we'd be naked in paradise, and you know, I, I don't know. Some people, myself included, you'd rather not see naked, right? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to David in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, David. Yes, good morning, morning. Frank. Um, regarding history questions, just to go back to this last person for a second, can we limit our questions about history to actual history and not things that we can't actually say did or did not happen, like the Apple thing? Now, um, the question that I have, and by the way, is, we don't even uh, know that it was an apple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't I, say I that in anywhere in the Bible. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, I'm thinking about what you mentioned yesterday about Tiger Woods and his um, ex-girlfriend in the non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. Now, you've talked very openly about your previous relationships and your current um, marriage. Do you think there are any of your exes, and think hard, that would have preferred – to have you sign a non-disclosure agreement, and <laughs> if you could say, which one would it be? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think so. Um, you know, I think anybody that I dated seriously had a pretty good idea that my everything that happens in my life is fodder for the radio. So, no, I don't think so. Um, and anytime anybody's ever said to me, whether it's a, a friend or a stranger or a, a loved one, 
don't talk about this on the radio, then I don't. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm going to say I'm going to. No, I don't think any of them would have wanted me to sign an NDA. Okay, so let me just ask you this, and then that's the end of the question. Um, if one a potential girlfriend had asked you to sign one, what would your reaction be? Well, I I think my reaction. I mean, look, I guess it depends, right? It depends on the circumstance. It depends on why she's asking me uh, to to sign that. Uh, it depends if um, it, it depends if uh, you know she has reason to ask me to sign it, but. Uh, barring some very, very convincing reason, I would tell them to go take a hike. Okay. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Yeah. Non-disclosure, please. 800-848-9222. One open line if you uh, want to get in a question for the remaining 10 minutes of Ask Frank Anything. All right. Uh, let me say hello to Donovan in Vancouver, Canada. Hello, Donovan. Frank, I've got a um, respect question for you. So anytime on your show you refer to um, Alex Barnard, you refer to Matt Blaze, but Kenneth is always just Kenneth. Is is there a reason for that? No, uh, I don't think there is. Um, one, uh, you know, Kenneth is a, is a long enough name that, you know, so his his last name is Connolly, right? So that's another Connolly. That's another three syllables. So Matt Blaze, simple, two syllables. Even Alex Barnard. I kind of like saying Alex Barnard because I like emphasizing the bar and the Barnard. Four syllables. When you get to the point of a five-syllable name, what is it, five syllables every single time I reference the guy? Come on, it's for the birds. Five syllables, too many. Fair point. Although he does announce his full name, Ken Connolly, when he's doing the sports on WABC. I know, but that, that he truncates the, the nith. So <laughs> I add the nith. So the question you really should be asking, Donovan, is why does Kenneth not say his full full name? He only says Ken Connolly, right? He doesn't yeah, say Kenneth Connolly. I'm here using my first name. Alex Barnard is using whatever fake stage name he's got this week. And uh, Kenneth is running around with a truncated version of his last name. Trying to save on syllables. Eight hundred is the phone angel. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Lisa in Connecticut. Hello, Lisa. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, so I have a question for you. I'm ready. So I, I love. I enjoy your show every night. Thank you. And. You play a lot of great music. Do you have a favorite singer, like somebody that you really like of all time? Okay. Well, so or it could be dead or alive. Okay. No, I'm saying you, it, yeah, you're yeah, not anything, limited to anything. Okay. So, no, anything. Uh, so I know everybody says this, but it's got to be Frank Sinatra. I don't think there's anybody that can bring, uh, can bring us, or can bring words to life like Frank Sinatra. Got to be Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Now, did you know about Frank Sinatra and Frank Pepe's Pizza in New Haven, Connecticut? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, so if you're city, then Worcester Street over in New Haven, Frank Pepe's Pizza. It was it was told it's one of the classic stories of New Haven that Frank Sinatra used to send pizzas out from Frank Pepe's Pizzeria out to his Vegas residency. You're kidding! I had no idea. Nope. And, and so I guess you've tried the pizza. Also, and did you also know that in New Haven, there's a place called uh, 
there's a, a place that Louis Lunch. Did you ever know about that place? No, I, I have to be honest. The first I, burger. It was what? First burger in the in the USA. The first that burger. Lunch. Wow. Have you yep. tried that uh, that pizza from Frank Pepe's? Of course I did. And is it all it's yeah. cracked up to be? It's very well known. Yes. And they I have, know um, I know it's well known, but is it as good as its reputation? Pizza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a foodie. All right. Well, and I'm going to have to I, take I, a trip up there then. You you really need to go there. And uh, and also Louis' lunch. That was where the first burger was ever made. It was even on TV on one of these TV shows that they did that. Yeah. Well, that's pretty neat. Uh, I'm going to have to make a trip up there one of these days. Thank you, Lisa. I have some family in uh, Connecticut. They never invite me to anything. They had a big uh, party, I think, for their 50th anniversary. My cousin Anthony and his wife Donna. I didn't get invited. My father and stepmother got invited. My cousin Jenna got invited. I didn't get invited. Um, but they're great, great folks nonetheless. And uh, maybe I don't know how close they are to New Haven, but I'll see. Maybe we can hit some pizza and then go see Anthony and uh, Donna. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Eddie is in New Jersey. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank Amaro. Hi, um, how are you? I, great, great. Um, I want to know who you think potential uh, – candidates to succeed McConnell after he steps down from his leadership position would be? Well, uh, you're talking about uh, like if this happens in the next, you know, year or two or uh, well, I would assume that it's going to happen at the end of his term in 26. So let's say thinking that it's going to happen then. Do you think it will be someone from like the Rick Scott part of the party or it will be one of his lieutenants like John Thune or a Barrasso or something. I um well, so I actually think it could be um, you know, it could be John Thune, um, but I think it uh, it I, I I think maybe um, I think maybe it could actually be someone like Marco Rubio. I think Rubio has done a good job, especially in his present term, of sort of threading the needle between sort of the. Rick Scott wing of the party and the Republican establishment. I get the sense that both wings of the party sort of feel comfortable with him. And, uh, you know, he's a very good spokesman. He speaks well on television. He comes across well. And uh, it seems like he has a pretty good understanding of of Senate rules. You know, we covered, and thanks for the call, Eddie, we covered yesterday or the day before how this weekend is daylight saving time. And Rubio was able to sneak through a piece of legislation to make daylight saving time permanent. It goes to show you, he knows the rules of the Senate pretty well. So I, I, and he seems um, sort of flexible, which you have to be as the, as the the leader of a conference. So I I could see it being Barrasso. I could see it being Thune. But um, if we're talking at the end of McConnell's term, I think Rubio is, I think he's a good choice. I, I don't, meaning a good choice to predict, not necessarily who I would pick, but uh, I think Rubio would uh, have enough seniority to have earned some a place in leadership. So I think it might be him. I don't know, though. 800-848-9222. Peter is in Queens. Hello, Peter. Hello. How are you doing, Frank? I'm well. Good. I got two questions for you. But the first one is I know you're not a lawyer and I don't even appreciate your opinion. But I, I said that wrong. I'm sorry because I'm a little nervous. Would you go to uh, jail for your wife? Well, what are the I've been married for 54 years, and I got involved in court, and 
it turned out to be a disaster. And what I'm doing is now either going along, violating my wife's rights, which is the second question, or going along with the court. Would would you go to jail for your wife? You know, uh, Peter, I, 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 and if you don't want to talk about it on the air, you could email me privately. No, I want I, to talk about no, it on but, the air. So tell me, one tell of the me, reasons I'm calling tell you, me, go ahead. Tell me, tell me the circumstances. Why are you being asked to go to prison for your wife? No, I'm not asked to go to prison. What, I'm at, what happened was I went to, to on the my wife had a problem. I had to go to court, and I, what the judge did is gave guardianships to a stranger. Bottom line, that took away all my rights as a as a husband. And now they're asking me for my uh, bank accounts and special stuff, and I don't believe that uh, they have the right. Well, that's my second question. Well. What's going to happen if the judge says, well, you're in contempt of court, I'm going to go to jail and I'm going, I'm going to do it because I can't believe what has happened when you lose. That's my second question is that if who do you think I, I know you're not a lawyer. I just want your opinion. If someone is appointed guardian for your wife, who has more power? The husband that's been married for 54 years or the guardian? Unfortunately, and this is a big problem, and I've talked about this before, it is uh, the guardian. And there's the there's a big problem with uh, abusive guardianships. Uh, Peter, I'm sorry you're going through all that. I, I don't have a good answer for you, but I'd love for you to email me, and maybe I could steer you in the right direction. Uh, and Kenneth will give you my email and uh, if you don't have it. It's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Everyone's welcome to email me. There, everyone certainly does. I, I feel terrible for what Peter's going through, but I don't want to. I don't want to give him bad advice or be trite uh, in trying to answer a question where I don't know all the details of his situation. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Frank, as we move towards the April fourth uh, runoff, the election for Chicago mayor between Velaz and uh, Corey Johnson, uh, who do you think Bra- wins? Brandon Johnson. Yeah, Brandon Johnson. Corey Johnson you was think the uh, You know, I, if I lived in Chicago, I would vote for Vallis, but uh, I think, unfortunately, Brandon Johnson is likely to win. Uh, I think it's, um, you know, I'm all for nonpartisan elections, but one of the things that does happen with nonpartisan elections is it tends to uh, it delve into ethnic politics and identity yeah. politics and racial politics. And I see the supporters of a lot of the other black candidates uh, that, that were in the first round voting for Brandon Johnson in the second round. So I think Johnson wins. We'll squeeze in one more here. Uh, JP is in Ontario. Hello, JP. Hi, good evening, Frank. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. I've been listening to you for at least a year and a half. It's a really interesting show every night, and uh, I'm glad you're on. It's really uh, re-comforting every night. When Thank I you. That's awfully nice of you. You listen on the radio or on the internet? I listen just with a regular radio. I can catch you, but Love I can't it. catch some stations that are... JP, I got 20 seconds left. What's your question? Frank, have you ever been to Canada? Yes. And uh, which parts have you been to? I was um, I was there in 1991 with my mom and my grandfather. We visited the Canadian um, Canadian Falls, right? The the Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, and some other things near there. So that's way. Best question. Brandon in New Jersey. F. Mary Kill. Brandon in New Jersey. Call back 800-848-9222. We'll give you a prize. We'll have some Oscar talk next. It's the Oscars this weekend. Does anybody care? We'll get into it. Until then, keep asking questions. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. a wonderful weekend for Oscar. Oscar, Oscar, who will win? And we are going straight to the source and bringing on uh, one of my favorite up-and-coming film critics. Not really up-and-coming. He's very, very much established, but he doesn't necessarily have the same uh, cachet as the film critics that, uh, you know, that are quoted on... uh, the Today Show on a regular basis, or on movie posters. My uh, longtime friend, Jason Frank Konigsberg, who we affectionately call JFK. He is a film critic with the website panandslam.com, a site that has become very well known for its uh, very outspoken views and movie reviews on different subjects, especially come Oscar time. Jason, it's uh, so nice to talk with you. Thanks for getting up early for us. My pleasure, Frank. It's good to be back here. <laughs> so um, before we get into the the awards themselves, I know you put out on the Pan and Slam Awards, you always put out your list of what you think the best movies of the year were. Were there any movies um, in, in 2022 that you thought were just terrific but which were omitted entirely from uh, any Oscar nominations. Every year there's always a few. Uh, This year, from looking at my top ten or my best of the year list, uh, there was a couple. Uh, Barbarian, which was an excellent, excellent horror movie, a very surprising movie, but usually horror movies don't get recognized by Oscars anyway. Uh, I was kind of disappointed that Glass Onion, Knives Out, Mystery, and RRR only got one nomination uh, each, uh, and I'm trying to think, Crimes of the Future, the new uh, David Cronenberg movie, I thought that was excellent. But once again, Cronenberg, usually not an Oscar-type uh, director. Uh, so, yeah, there was, there was a few. Those are off the, you know, some of the best ones that got zero nominations this year I was disappointed in, but not surprised. I know um, they, they said, understandably, that the uh, 2020 and 2021 that got, kind of got the rap that it was a bad year for movies, probably due to the shutdown of theaters and yeah. probably due to the well, shutdown in, in production. Sometimes folks say, all right, this is a great year for movies. Look at all the nominees. They're all great. Other people say, look at all the nominees. They're all terrible. Do you think 2022 was a, a good year for movies or a bad year? I think it was a step in the right direction. I think this was the best year for movies we've had post-pandemic. If you look back and you remember 2019, I thought 2019 was one of the best years for movies that we had in the, the maybe almost a decade because uh, you had Parasite, The Irishman, Midsummer, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story, so many great movies that year. That's just off the top of my head. Uh, and then 2020 and 2021, obviously, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with the quality of movies that were coming out and uh, nothing really particularly memorable. This year, though, I do feel like it was a bit of a return to form overall. It was a pretty good year for movies. Uh, of, yeah, definitely since the pandemic, for sure. You but. know, in terms of, uh, obviously, you mentioned a horror film and uh, Crimes of the Future that uh, that probably wouldn't get nominated. Were there any yeah. films this year that you felt were just overt 
snubs that you felt the Academy w- must have been blindfolded to not nominate uh, a, any any person or any film in any category? Um, I don't know. I mean, my favorite movie of the year was Banshees of Inisherin, and I think that got the nominations that it deserved. Um, my second favorite movie was The Fablemans. I think that got a lot of the nominations that it deserved. Was there anything that just, you know what I really enjoyed? Weird, the Al Yankovic story uh, with Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, but once again, comedy, horror, those aren't the most respected uh, genres by the Academy. Uh, I think that could have gotten a few nominations uh, somewhere. Uh, But otherwise, eh, I I think the the Academy, for the most part, did a good job. If anything, we we always talk about how I'm not a fan of the 10 nominees or it used to be seven or eight or whatever. Uh, I think they should go back to just the five nominees, the definitive five, and stick with that. So if anything, they maybe nominated too many movies for, you know, Best Picture and for other, you know, uh, things like – For example, All Quiet on the Western Front, I don't think that deserved whatever, how many, nine nominees or whatever nominations that it got. I don't think it deserved that. And this year there are 10 nominations, right? For best there are, picture, yep. they're, they're sticking with the ten. Yep. Yeah. Well, I I think it can fluctuate. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a, um, a a complicated voting process for how the nominations. I, I so I I know that's the max that they can uh, they can have. Right. But I, I don't know. I right. feel like it keeps more movies in it that uh, normally would be. It's like expanding the playoffs in baseball. It keeps yeah. more movies in it than than normally would be considered. Um, in, but how many deserve that nomination? It used to feel like such a prestigious thing when you got a best picture nomination for the Academy Awards. Now it just feels like it's almost a consolation prize. So two weeks ago, uh, I was talking with uh, Debbie Schlussel, who is a film critic, but she's, you know, she's a a conservative as well. And she Mm -hmm. said something very odd um, for her because it's not, you don't usually see her as the type of person that's going to be sticking up uh, and crying racism when it comes to anything. But this is what Mm. Debbie Schlussel said about, uh, about the Oscar nominations. So a lot of people are saying, Oh, you know, it was kind of racist of the Academy Awards that they did not vote for the woman that was the main, the lead actress and really the lead character in the movie till. And I have to say, I happen to agree. You would be surprised to hear that from me because I'm not politically correct. Wait, in which film, Till? The movie Till. Mm -hmm. I thought that movie was, I actually was surprised. I thought it was very well done. I thought it was very moving and touching. It's a true story that a lot of people don't know um, about this guy, Emmett Till, who as a teenager was sent down south to visit his cousins. His mother was worried, and then he sees this white woman at this drugstore where they got ice cream or sodas, whatever, and he tells her that she's good-looking and whistles at her. And he is um, so brutally uh, tortured and murdered by the relatives of this woman that his body is unrecognizable. And his mother, this is a real-life story, his mother, they're from Chicago, she decides that she wants an open casket, even though everyone tells her not to, because it's so horrifying and she wants everybody to see that this is what's going on in America, and which did go on in America in those days. I mean, it was a lynching. And I, it's a true story. It's a very effective movie. It's very well done. And I thought the woman that played the mother, uh, this woman, Deadweiler, I think it's... Yeah, I Danielle, Danielle Deadweiler. Danielle, that's yeah. it. She was 
so good. I couldn't believe it. I thought she was so effective. I looked her up, and she was an actress in a in a, a series I saw on Netflix, and I couldn't even believe it was the same person because she is such a great actress. She really morphed into such diverse characters. So, Jason, let me ask you the same question. Um, do you share Debbie uh, Debbie's view that uh, that Till and specifically Danielle Deadweiler was overlooked? And do you uh, she went on to say that she thinks it's due to sort of a kind of a quiet racism that exists among some of the people that uh, that that participate in the Academy Award nomination process. Do you have a, what's your take on the whole Till controversy? I, I do agree with her. Um, and there's also, you could mention Viola Davis not being nominated. Her snub for The Woman King. Uh, she's always a good actress, Viola Davis. But both of those actresses, Danielle Deadweiler, I can't say I've honestly seen in anything else that I'm aware of. Uh, so I don't know what Netflix show she was talking about. But uh, yeah, both of those, they were both expected to be nominated, Danielle Deadweiler and Viola Davis. And they were not. And instead, the uh, they were replaced by uh, Ana de Armas from the controversial NC-17 Netflix movie Blonde, where she plays Marilyn Monroe, uh, which was another very unpleasant watch. Uh, but I, once again, Ana de Armas, beautiful, talented actress. Uh, she did a good job. And the other main reason was Andrea Reesborough. I don't know if you heard about her controversial best. Actress oh, yeah. I ju- I, they're saying it you was. Did? The, OK, the, I just read about it. And uh, if I, 10 minutes ago, they said it was the result of uh, aggressive campaigning. Is that what they're saying? She basically got all of her famous friends. I'm trying to think. Uh, Kate Winslet is the only one I remember off the top of my head. But I know it was a ton, a ton of just, you know, if you have famous friends and they all say you have to vote for this person, you have to vote for this person. Uh, I guess they all said vote for Andrew Reesborough for Two Leslie and this little movie, which it is good. It seems like it, you know, she gives a good performance. Um, it got her a nomination. So those they Anna de Armas and Andrew Reesborough sort of took the two spots that were I'm using air quotes sort of reserved for Danielle Deadweiler and Viola Davis. So it makes the Academy look racist. I mean, Andrew Reesborough certainly they're investigating. There was a very controversial. Uh, I've watched YouTube videos about how she got her nomination. Very controversial campaigning, the way she got it. But either way, she got it. And uh, the two African-American women that were, you know, allegedly, you know, frontrunners for a Best Actress nomination did not get it. And I feel like the Academy does have a history of racism, especially in two categories, Best Actress and Best Director. We have yet to have an African-American win Best Director, I'm sorry, Best Director. You know, we have yet to, Spike Lee won Best Screenplay. He never won Best Director. Uh, but, uh, and the other uh, one is, other than Halle Berry, no African-American woman has won Best Actress. What? So I don't know why that is, but it seems that a couple of years ago, uh, Viola Davis was the front runner uh, during one of the COVID years for Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom. And she was the front runner, and she lost to Frances McDormand, who won her third Oscar for the Best Picture, eventual Best Picture winner, uh, Nomadland. So it's just, it seems like those are like the most coveted, uh, whitest uh, categories uh, and toughest ones for African Americans to break through in Best Director 
and best actress in a leading role. But haven't haven't they made all sorts of uh, changes to diversify the pool of voters and to um, make uh, I don't know make make the whole Academy Award process much more welcoming to minorities in recent years? I mean, it's reflected uh, this year in um, in a lot of the Asian actors that are nominated yeah, for everything yeah, everywhere yeah, all yeah. at once. And I know in previous years uh, you saw the uh, the director of uh, Birdman uh, who's who's Hispanic. He he was able to actually win. Haven't they made a lot of these changes? I mean, the fact that they didn't get nominated, do, how do we immediately ascribe it to racism when it seems like the Academy is going to great lengths to sort of diversify its ranks? They have. And you look at the other, you know, nominations, acting nominations pool. And, yes, they are they are diverse. It just seems to me, OK, this is just my unofficial observations. Uh, an outsider looking in that best actress and best director are really tough to crack. Uh, mm. If you're uh, African-American, it just mm. from, from my viewpoint, I have no, you know, well, you know, the statistics back that up. No African-American is one best director and only one African-American is one best actress. And it's been over 20 years since Halle Berry had her, you know, great moment when she won for monsters ball. So it, it's been a while, but, and I do think we will see some, uh, non-white, non-Caucasian winners this year, for sure, when we do the acting categories, when we go through a rundown of each category. Well, so. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Jason Konigsberg. He's a film critic with panandslam.com. You can check out the website, and um, you see his detailed reviews of all the films that we're going to be talking about, including a bunch of others that we're, that we're not talking about. Hey, the viewership for the Academy Awards uh, telecast last year was a 15.3 million people. While it was up from 2021, it was still the second lowest viewership in in history. Why do you think the viewership of the Academy Awards uh, telecast, which used to be must-see viewing for almost the whole country, almost on par with the Super Bowl, why do you think it has continued to decline so much over the last 15, 20 years? Main reason, less people have cable, less people have basic cable, less people have, even though it's on ABC, not a cable channel, I think less people have the, you know, old way of hooking up, uh, you know, their TVs and uh, satellite and whatever. Uh, so I think more people are just, they. a lot of homes just have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, whatever, they'll have three or four streaming services. And that's their main source of television nowadays. Uh, so I think that's a major factor because the, it's a lot of uh, in a, maybe older viewers will watch it that still you know are steadfast and pay their Comcast bill uh, and and constantly you know they have that always there where they're watching cable and they're watching you know the way I guess younger people used to watch TV but I feel less homes have access to that sort of way of watching TV so they have to find other ways to do it. And, uh, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get a ratings. If I'm not mistaken, I've done this show with you, uh, Oscar shows, many times over the past few years now. And I think the number – Titanic, the year that that won, I think that was the highest rated Oscar. Uh, and and yeah. you yeah, – I mean, I would think that's a reflection of the fact that the film was so popular 
that, and it was nominated. There's been other popular films, but yeah, maybe that But to that the tune the of that at the box film. office? Yeah. Right? I mean. Yeah, I know Lord of the Rings Return of the King. I mean, but yeah, Titanic was a phenomenon. We'll never have a movie like Titanic again. We, yes, it's been surpassed with Avatar, which was also a super popular movie in 2009. Uh, it's been surpassed with, you know, one of the Star Wars sequels and Avengers and other movies. But the way Titanic dominated the box office from December of 97 till April of 98, you know, being number one for so many weeks in a row, I, I don't know if we'll ever see that uh, since, type of dominance. Since you mentioned Avatar, the Avatar sequel is nominated for a bunch of awards this year, including Best Picture. What did you uh, what did you think of uh, of the Avatar sequel? Liked it, didn't love it. And now James Cameron, usually he has a great track record with sequels. He, of course, directed Aliens, which some could argue is better than Ridley Scott's original Alien. It's a fantastic movie. And, of course, Terminator 2, one of the best sequels of all time. It felt like just more of the same Avatar way of the water, but it was still good. It was still, and like the original Avatar, if you're going to see it, you got to see it on the big screen, 3D, IMAX. That's the only way to go. And um, we, I know you mentioned Banshees of Inisherin as your favorite yeah, picture that's that nominated this year. What um, you didn't think that was just so incredibly depressing? Yeah, I mean, it was about depression. It was about two friends with mental illness, well, one in particular. And I thought it was a good story about you know friendship and the civil war, the Irish civil war and the backdrop and the civil war between these two men and what their legacy means and, and the different philosophies of going through life. That movie really spoke to me uh, in ways that no other film this year did. Uh, like I said, maybe the Fablemans came close, but uh, Banshees of Insurance. Did, what I mean, Frank, I know you try to see every movie. Uh, did you you saw that and did you I, like I it? I saw you, Banshees. I, I liked it. I liked it more than Rachel did, but I thought it was certainly well made, and I thought the acting was great. I thought yeah. it looked oh, great. Yeah. I thought uh, I, I thought it was really well done. It was just um, it was it was it was such a downer uh, that um, in terms of sheer enjoyment, there were some other films in, that were nominated in the best picture category that I uh, that I enjoyed a lot more. It's funny you say that because once again, Frank, Rachel, I love Rachel, uh, but <laughs> she is probably rolling her eyes right now, saying, "Oh my God!" Well, that's Jason what she said. I, we're when, always on complete polar right. opposites. When I read me. her your review, that's exactly what she said. Uh, she said, "Oh, that's no surprise." Prize. Uh, we, yeah, we never, we're always never on the total opposite right. when it comes to uh, movies. But and, and about the the fact that Banshee's Adventure wasn't nominated for Best Cinematography, I thought that had better cinematography. I remember I saw that around the same time I saw Avatar: Way of Water, and I was more blown away by the way Martin McDonough photographed Ireland uh, in the 1920s than I was James Cameron bringing us back to Pandora. Mm. So. Uh, well, I'm going to uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to get your predictions so that everybody who's participating in an Oscar pool this year knows what to bet on. And I'll also ask you uh, what happens if there's another Chris Rock, Will Smith incident, uh, and uh, if you uh, if you have any take on anything else that we should be focusing on or keeping an eye on for the ceremony this Sunday. Uh, don't forget, everybody, this weekend is daylight saving time so you got to set the clocks back an hour don't let that affect your oscar viewing if you're planning to watch it or uh, don't most important don't let it affect your radio listening 
enjoyment on uh, Monday morning uh, because uh, we'll set your clocks ahead an hour, not back an hour. Spring ahead, fall back. Uh, don't let it affect your radio listening come Monday morning when we join you again. All right, we're going to continue with Jason Konigsberg from panandslam.com. 800-848-9222. If you have a question, we'll try and get it in. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. This is uh, Take My Breath Away. This is both in the original Top Gun and the new one. Uh, The song that's in the new Top Gun, the Lady Gaga song, actually got a nomination for Best Original Song. And I must say, I do think it was uh, quite good. I think it was a deserving nomination. Uh, We're talking with film critic Jason Konigsberg from panandslam.com. Jason, what did you think of the new Top Gun film? I like it a lot. I saw it in the theater. I haven't seen it since back in late May or early June when it came out. Uh, I liked it a lot. I don't particularly remember the song by Lady Gaga, but I know it's been uh, nominated. Uh, did you like Top Gun Man? I did. I, I loved it, actually. I, I yeah, think me it, too. Was, it was on my top 10. Yeah, yeah I, I saw that and I thought it, and I agreed with that. I thought it was one of the most entertaining movies uh, uh, that I've seen uh, of the year. By the way, you mentioned seeing that this in theaters. One of the things that we're seeing both for the the people that vote on these awards, both for critics and for audiences at large, is a change in how audiences are watching these films. I have seen all of the movies that we're talking about on uh, my television, on my streaming device. And I, I have tried to get to the theater a couple times, but it's been it's been difficult. I haven't made it there. Do you think that the fact that so many more viewers are watching these movies the way that I am has any impact on uh, on the winners or the films that are nominated or anything like that? Absolutely. So you don't need to have the best special effects like an Avatar or like a Christopher Nolan movie or a Star Wars movie or Top Gun, which I mean, that was an immersive experience seeing that in theaters. I'll give that a lot of credit. Um, And I'm glad it made a lot of money. But uh, yeah, that's why they're not taking, you know, chances on movies like that anymore. And like you said, people just don't have the time. We have so many options at our fingertips, we have so much. It's not even uh, movies should be art, but the the way a lot of companies look at it, it's just content, and they just want titles and content and rights to certain things. And I mean, years ago, before videotape, you had to struggle and wait for your art house movie to have I don't know a screening of 
uh, an Orson Welles movie or a screen, you know, a Fellini movie, and then you'd get to see something, you know, like eight and a half. And then, you know, videotape came out. You had to go to the video store and rent a movie, and that, that was a little bit more of a commitment, a procedure. Now we have all these amazing streaming titles. If you want to see an amazing classic movie, I'm willing to bet that it's on one of, you know, the services that you have a subscription to. Uh, so we have so much content at our fingertips that it, it's, it makes it going to the theater. It makes it feel like you're, you know, wasting your money, wasting your time. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Hey, um, I mentioned the, uh, the Will Smith incident from last year. You know, we were together yeah. uh, for the, the time that uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway read the wrong film as the uh, best picture nominee. Yeah, Moonlight over uh, La La Land. Right. Yeah. Or, uh, right La La Land over Moonlight right. was what they said. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that pales in comparison to what happened last year. Oh. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Nick, name out your wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I could, oh, okay. That was a greatest night in the history of television. What was your take on that whole thing, uh, Jason? How did you think uh, Chris Rock handled it? How did you think the uh, local authorities in L.A. handled it? How did you think the uh, producers of the show that night handled this whole thing? I think Chris Rock handled himself pretty well. You could tell he was shook up. He kept his composure. And uh, and did you get to see his new Netflix special? Not yet. I heard he he, uh, has a bit about that, but I haven't seen it. Yes, he does. I highly recommend it. I mean... Yeah, Will Smith. But Will Smith assaulted him, and it, he, he Will Smith has, for a very long time, been he's one of the biggest movie stars of all time. Okay, he's up there with Tom Cruise, with Tom Hanks, with uh, you know he's he's sort of in that rarefied air where I don't know if he realizes consequences, and he's probably surrounded by a bunch of yes men and yes people. Um, and whatever, he's, he's good for him that he's uh, a good, dedicated husband to his wife. Um, but all this other stuff came out about him and his wife that I didn't know about afterwards. I, I, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith aren't people that I guess I think about much. But uh, should, should he have been arrested that night? I don't know. Should he have gotten the standing applause and won for King Richard? Uh, there's a lot of things. that, And you know how many people I know that I spoke to after that happened that thought it was all planned oh, and all staged? I, I can promise you, because- I, I, I was on the air Three hours after it happened, I would say that was 40 to 50 percent of the audience uh, that called in yeah. and said they thought it was staged. But they, they wanted it to, to boost ratings. I, I don't think the Oscars, if, if the Oscars wanted to boost ratings, then they'd give an Oscar to Lady Gaga, which they already did for, uh, what was it, Star is Born. Or they, you know, they would do other things. Then they wouldn't be nominating Banshees of Inisherin, which, you know, or some, movies that are, you know, depressing and not, you know, the typical Oscar movies uh, type of things. Then we'd have have more, you know, maybe genre movies up there. But uh, I, I, I think did the Oscars handle it well. I think they learned from their mistakes, and I don't think they're going to let anything like that happen again. And I think there's going to be a lot of jokes this year um, about. Oh, you do. That so you, you think they'll they'll address it? Absolutely. I think there there might be more jokes about that than there will about uh, uh, 
Trump or current politics or whatever, which we always talk about in the past, how there's always going to be some sort of anti-Trump uh, sentiment and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Do you think that'll still be the case this year, seeing as Trump's, you know, not president? And and I mean, obviously, he's still a presidential candidate, but you yeah, still I was going to say he's still relevant. So, right. yes, yeah, so he's not. A, he's, yeah. So I'm sure there will be something, some mention about that. I'm sure there's going to be some mention about Ukraine and it'll get a standing applause. Uh, so I'm sure there's some, the, the, the usual, you know, liberal uh, Hollywood agenda will be out there uh, as, as as it always is. And are there I read that there were some safeguards in place to prevent a slapping incident this year. Do we know what would happen if something like that occurs this year? I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm sure that if someone comes up to the stage that isn't supposed to uh, at any particular time, maybe they'll have strong, a stronger security presence uh, protecting whoever the presenter is or the, the winner is. Uh, I'm thinking of like, I mean, years ago, Kanye West would come up and just, you know, interrupt people and say things. So obviously, uh, that I think was at the Grammys, a little bit more. Though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, at Grammys. And I think he did it at the MTV Awards years ago so yeah i guess that they're gonna cut down on that so if anyone gets up that's not supposed to get up uh i think we might see more of a security presence. all right all right uh this year is very interesting in that three of the four acting categories are unusually tight and that's not usually mm-hmm. the case is it no and in fact in recent years it's almost been we haven't had competitive acting races frank in a long time i remember doing this uh uh, show with you, and I think maybe the most the, some of one of the tightest actor races that we discussed was when Eddie Redmayne defeated uh, Michael Keaton uh, for a Theory of Everything right. over Birdman. But otherwise, yeah, no, we have three acting races that are really tough to call, and only one is an absolute. I mean, if, if best supporting actor is someone other than who the front runner is, uh, we are going to see a lot of surprised people. Uh, the next day. And uh, what are what are the the acting categories that are competitive? Give us sort of the lowdown there. Well, we'll start. I guess we could start with best uh, actor in a leading role. It's a three way race. It could really go three ways. Uh, you've got Austin Butler for Elvis, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, and Colin Farrell for Banshees of Inisherin. Um, I mean, if you want, you want to dissect that each race right now, Frank, or, uh, Uh, yeah, well, uh, sure. Why not? Why don't we, why don't we go in that direction? Right. So actor in a leading role, who, 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 who do you think should win and who do you think will win? Should win. I think it obviously should be Colin Farrell for Banshees of Inisherin. will win. I, it's, he's probably the third most likely to win. It's kind of come down to a two-way race between Brendan Fraser for The Whale, which Brendan Fraser, his narrative, his comeback story is something that everyone in the Academy likes and would like to see him win. Just did you see The Whale, Frank? Uh, not yet. I'm, I'm eager to see it. Okay. I don't recommend it. It's just so painfully obvious. And Darren Aronofsky's such a terrific director. He basically made, remade The Wrestler, only instead of it being a has-been wrestler, it's a big, fat recluse. Um, and then, but uh, honestly, did you see the Elvis movie, Frank? No, I'm uh, seeing it. I think Rachel and I are seeing it Friday or tonight. Yeah. I'm, I was surprised. I put off seeing it because I, musical biopics are just, I mean, they're so a dime a dozen now. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. And Austin Butler does do a good job. Um, I, I would give it to Colin Farrell, but I think if I had to bet money, if I had to, you know, if I was placing my bet, 
We know the Oscars, just the example I gave, Eddie Redmayne, Theory of Everything, okay, playing Stephen Hawking's one over a fictitious, uh, fictional character played by Michael Keaton. Oscars love biopics, Rami Malek for um, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Austin Butler, who, like Eddie Redmayne at the time, not a very well-known actor, I think he's going to end up winning it for playing a real-life Elvis. And Uh, he does a good job. All right, actor in a supporting role. Uh, What will win, what should win? Uh, it's going to be Kiki Kwan for everything, everywhere, all at once. And he is, uh, he should win and he will win. Although I like Brendan Gleeson as well, but he's the, that's the one race that's not competitive. And, and uh, actress in a leading role, what will win, what should win? Competitive race. It's a two person race. It could be Kate Blanchett for Tar. It, uh, could be Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. I would give it to Michelle Yeoh, and I think this is her year. Kate Blanchett could win her third Oscar come Sunday, but I think Michelle Yeoh is going to win because everyone seems to love everything, everywhere, all at once, and with good reason. Actress in a supporting role. What will win, what should win? Two, uh, three-person race as well. Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Jamie Lee Curtis for everything, everywhere, all at once, and Kerry Condon. This is the toughest race to call. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Kerry Condon wins like Olivia Coleman won for the favorite a few years ago. I would want Kerry Condon to win, but I guess I would put my money on Angela Bassett. But don't be surprised if Jamie Lee Curtis or Kerry Condon win. All right. Animated feature. Same question. Animated feature. I think it's going to be Pinocchio. Uh, the other nominees. Uh, yeah, I guess Guillermo del Toro is going to win his second Oscar for Pinocchio. Best cinematography. Uh, let me find the category here. Best cinematography. What is, uh, you know what? I think it's going to be all quiet on the Western front of the nominees. I can't, like I said, I can't believe Avatar and Banshees of Insurance weren't nominated. I think I'd give it to Elvis, but all quiet on the Western front is going to win cinematography. And uh, costume design. How about costume design? Costume design, I think, will be, I'm going to say Elvis. Because that had some pretty elaborate, pretty good costumes. And best director. Best director. It's going to be the two Daniels. Daniel, uh, what's his name? The right, Sh- Daniel Kwan and Daniel the, Yeah, everyone wants it to be Spielberg. Spielberg already has two Oscars. He hasn't won an Oscar in 25 years since Saving Private Ryan. But it's going to be Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner. They won the DGA. They're going to win for everything, everywhere, all at once. All right, documentary feature. Documentary feature. Documentary feature. Uh... I saw all the breeds. I really like that, but I think it's going to be Nalvani because that's a very topical one involving yeah. Russia. So yeah. look for Nalvani. Yeah, tonight. I think you're right on that. How about documentary yeah. short? Did you see any of these? I have not seen any of the all animated right, so, shorts or the documentary right, so shorts. We'll so those. your guess is as good as okay, mine, but get, sure. Okay. How about film that. editing? Film editing. Film editing. Uh, let me go to. We got Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything All Everywhere All at Once, Tar, and Top Gun. See, the thing is, Tar, Top Gun, Banshees, uh, they might not win anything else that night. Uh, So this could be a chance to reward a movie that's not everything, everywhere, all at once. But I'm going to go with the safe bet and say editing is going to go to everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, International feature I don't think is competitive at all. It's got to be all quiet on the Western front, right? It's going to be all quiet on the Western front. I'm very upset RRR wasn't nominated for Best Picture for Best International Film. But, yeah, it's going to be all uh, all quiet on the Western front. Makeup and hair. Uh, It could be The Whale. It could be Elvis. 
uh, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say it's the whale because they do do a tremendous job. It's a lot of latex on Brendan Fraser in that. All right. Um, best original score. Best original score. Uh, let me find the nominees. Got to be the Fablements with John Williams, right? He's nineteen. No, John Williams hasn't won an Oscar since I think Saving Private Ryan. So I don't think I think the Fablements are going to go home empty-handed. Sadly. Uh, let me see. Best score. Why can't I find this? Oh, here it is. Best achievement. Okay. Uh, you know what? I think from what I've been reading, it's going to be. <clears throat> Babylon, which I thought was just very uh, difficult to watch. I did not get into that I haven't movie seen at all. Yet, but uh, but I, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to checking that one. How about original song? We got This Is A Life from Everything All At Once, Natu Natu from RRR, Lift Me Up from Black Panther, Hold My Hand from Top Gun, and Applause from Tell It Like A Woman. Okay. Um, and also, This Is A Life from Everything Ever All At Once. I don't know if you said that. But yeah. I think it's going to be RRR. I guess I think there was a lot of love for that movie. And when it didn't get the best international uh, picture nomination, I think that it's going to, this is its consolation prize. I think that's going to win. Uh, and fortunately, they have finally merged the sound categories. And we now have a category <laughs> known as Best Sound. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Batman, Elvis, or Top Gun. What will win, what should win? Uh, I would say Top Gun, but I guess All Quiet on the Western Front has a lot of nominations. And Netflix, I've said this before, they're sort of the new Miramax, where they campaign very unscrupulously. And that's why All Quiet on the Western Front has so many nominations this year. So I think they might go home with that. But I I would give it to Top Gun. Uh, Visual effects. I noticed you haven't mentioned Avatar here. Could Avatar be, could this be their category? Avatar, that could be their category. Uh, let me see. What are the other nominees? You got for that Top one? Gun, Maverick, Black Panther, um, The Batman, and uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, in addition to Avatar. You know, I would say Avatar, but honestly, remember that year when Ex Machina beat Star Wars? There could be a surprise there where you, you don't know, but I would say probably Avatar for that one. Uh, best adapted screenplay. You got All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, Living, Top Gun and women talking it's going to be women talking because sarah Pauly. the big talk was that there was no woman nominated for best director and she was the best chance for a woman to be nominated so and she's a very talented actress writer director i'm very happy if sarah Pauly uh wins for women talking i'd give it to ryan johnson for glass onion i love that movie. and uh best original screenplay you've got banshees of inna sharon everything everywhere all at once the fablemans tar and triangle of sadness any one of these five could win. If I were a betting man, I would bet on Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for everything, everywhere, all at once. However, I feel like if the Academy does want to reward one of these other movies with a chance to take something home, maybe Martin McDonough for Banshee's Adventure or Todd Field for Tar. Uh, so any of them could actually win, but the safe bet is everything, everywhere, all at once for original screenplay. And finally, uh, best picture, um, the big category for all the Marvels, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Banshees of Inna Sharon, Elvis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. If it's not everything, everywhere, all at once, it's going to be one of the biggest upsets since Moonlight beat La La Land. Okay, so everything, everywhere, all at once has won everything up to this point. It won the DGA. It won. uh, That's the movie to beat. That's the front runner. And I don't see anything beating it, but you never know. This, This was a strong year for movies, and there are 
you know, four or five really good movies on that. But if you were uh, voting, you'd vote on Banshees. If I was voting, I would vote on Banshees. All right. Uh, we're going to continue with Jason Konigsberg from com. Now that you are, can all win your Oscar pool, Jason has a has an unparalleled record of Oscar predictability and getting it right. So you'd be well advised if you're participating in an Oscar pool to, uh, to take his advice to heart. We're going to continue in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, joined for the hour from uh, panandslam.com, Jason Konigsberg. It's a terrific website that you really have to uh, check out. Hey, Jason, I did not see Blonde, the uh, Marilyn Monroe movie, but you indicated that you thought it was uh, that it was difficult to watch. How come? What was the problem? Uh, just a little unnecessary. I mean, obviously... Marilyn Monroe had a tough life and it had some unflinching moments. It just, it's not a pleasant, oh, pretty Hollywood picture of Marilyn Monroe. And and that's, that's, you know, fine. But it also wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't particularly compelling either. Mm. Uh, so, it, and it was long. And that's another trend. I, and this is making me miss VHS in the days before the multiplex when they wanted movies to be two hours or less <laughs> to get a certain amount of show times. And that movie did not need to be over two and a half hours long. Babylon, three and a half, three and a quarter hours. Come on. These movies don't need to be as long as they actually are. It's it's unfortunate. So even the Elvis movie, which I, I liked, I just, uh, you know, I put off seeing it and then finally saw it. It's still just a little too long. What was your opinion of uh, Triangle of Sadness? I liked it, but it's not best picture material. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I really enjoyed yeah, that as okay. well. Okay. I, I mean, oh, you know what? I, I guess I'm getting a little sick of, I feel like Parasite did it perfect. I'm getting sick of, okay, rich people are bad. It's easy to just pick on the rich in movies now. And, and it's been done before, and now it's just sort of becoming a trend. You know, I guess Knives Out and Glass Onion both did the same thing, but I think they did it better than Triangle of Sadness. Um, so it, 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 Triangle of Sadness, I liked it. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was best picture. Uh, now, this year, they're ba- they have a host again, right? They have one host. Is it Jimmy Kimmel again? I I think so. I'm not 100%. Usually you're better on who the host is, uh, the actual award ceremony uh, situations. Like yeah, that. I, yeah, I think I, he's back. Did you find that you enjoyed the ceremony itself more with a host or sort of done by committee as it was last year? 
I don't think it really, because they, they went hostless for a number of years. Right. I don't think it really made a difference. It depends on the host. There was years when Chris Rock hosted it, and I thought he was fantastic. There was years when Steve Martin and Billy Crystal hosted it, and I thought they were excellent. Um, so it just depends who the host is, I suppose. Uh, Ellen did it uh, a couple of times, and I thought she was very good. So, no, that doesn't really make it do. I guess, or if anything, I guess I prefer the host as long as it's someone that, you know, is, does a good job. Uh, I remember not, not particularly liking Whoopi Goldberg the years that she hosted. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't get her whole thing where she came out in all those different costumes. That was yeah, uh, that, was, that was all. And it made it went on and on. I think that that might have been the record for the longest Oscars. With a year that was the year of Shakespeare in Love and uh, yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah, right now one of the things that we've seen them do in previous years to save time is they weren't putting the uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award during the actual ceremony itself. They did it during a a special pre ceremony or something like that. What is the story with that this year? Is that included in the ceremony itself? And do we know who's getting the Lifetime Achievement Award? No, the, that already happened. They haven't done that for years, Frank. And I think that's very unfortunate because that robs people of a chance to learn about a great filmmaker or a great actor. Like I'm looking right now at the list. On November 19th, 2022, they had the honorary awards. Uh, they went to Diane Warren, Yuzan Palsy. Uh, she's a South African filmmaker, I believe. Peter Weir, a great Australian director. He directed The Truman Show. He directed Witness. He directed uh, Fearless with Jeff Bridges. Outstanding director. And uh, Michael J. Fox won the Gene Hirschholt uh, Humanitarian Award. I would love to see all those people get honored, uh, especially Peter Weir and Michael J. Fox on the Oscar stage, but they, they're just going to show us a few clips from something that happened uh, several months ago, and that's going to be it. I think that's a shame. Yeah, and um, there's any other any other aspects of the ceremony itself that you're particularly looking forward to? Um, you know what? I, I do hope to see... Uh, I'm very curious this year with the the acting nominations. This is the first time three of the four acting nominations. It's not they could go any direction those three uh, categories, other than best supporting actor. So I am actually in suspense. It's kind of like you know sometimes in the playoffs you know what team is going to win and advance to the next round. Here it's just sort of like it could really go either way uh, or multiple ways. I think there's you know about two or three people that have a legit chance to win. So I think that's pretty exciting. And I we haven't seen that kind of a race in this many categories. Maybe Frank, since as long as I've been doing uh, the your Oscar show with you for about nine or ten years now, so it's been a while. Do you um the <clears throat> excuse me? There was one story that uh, Michelle Ye- Yo Michelle Yo deleted an Instagram post about the lack of diversity at the Oscars. As people point out, it may have violated rules by mentioning Kate uh, Blanchett. Isn't that a bizarre thing for Michelle Yeoh, who's in a film that has many Asian people and has many nominees in it? Isn't that a bizarre thing for her to post in the first place? That is. um, I'm not sure why she would do that, especially when she's been winning so much up to this point. And I would say she's it's a there's I would say there's a 51 percent chance Michelle Yeoh wins Best Actress and a 49 percent chance Kate Blanchett wins her third Oscar for Tar, uh, so it's it's very it's a very close race. I don't know why she would do that, but she's talented. Hey, she was a Bond girl in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, one of my favorite Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. 
Uh, so she's an actress that goes back a long way. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, of course, she was excellent in that. Uh, did you see everything everywhere all at once? Time? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I loved it, actually. I thought it was terrific. I, did, I thought it was a fun, you know, very movie of its time, very much a movie of its time, but a, a fun interesting look at you know the asian american experience that i could never thought of or you know experience like that so uh, i really enjoyed it a lot and james hong the great james hong was in it and he's been in so many great uh movies and tv shows throughout the decades yeah no i'm uh, pleased to see him getting some uh, recognition hey whenever we do the segments about why the ratings for the oscars continue to fall one of the one of the constant refrains I always hear from people is that they think that the ceremony itself has become too political. And uh, it used to be something where either they would poke fun at everybody, every aspect of society, including everybody on the political spectrum. And now it kind of becomes, if you're a conservative, you, you feel a little out of place watching if if there's all these anti-Trump jokes, but not necessarily a lot of anti-Biden jokes. Is that a view that you share at all? Do you think that, uh, that the fact that the, do you think the ceremony has become overly politicized at the expense of ratings? No, I think I don't think it's uh, at the expense of ratings. I think they've always tried to be political or tried to make a stand. I think even with the movies that they nominate and with the movies that they choose as winners, they're trying to make statements um, uh, about that. So, I mean, I'm thinking of Crash winning over uh, Brokeback Mountain. I think they were clearly making a statement uh, with that. Uh, so it's I don't know if how much that has to do with ratings. I think the main people, but why they don't care about the ratings, people don't maybe care about movies as much. Like you said, Titanic. Everyone was invested in Titanic. Everyone loved Titanic. And even if it wasn't Titanic, you had that year. You had Goodwill Hunting. Was I guess the you know if anything was going to win besides Titanic, people loved that movie. Uh, so it's, I think people aren't as invested in motion pictures as they used to be now. When you talk to people at work, you know, I think more people are apt to talk about uh, the new Netflix series they're binging or the new mm. uh, show on HBO Max or Disney Plus. They're not going to say, hey, did you see the new Top Gun this weekend? Oh, my God. And few people will, like you've said, you, you Frank, you used to go to the movies all the time. Right. You haven't had the chance to go to the movies. I mean, life happens. We both have, you know, we, we all have lives. We're all busy. We have families. But, I mean, I still think people made time. 20 years ago to see a big movie if they wanted to. And now it's just, why would they do that when they could, there's something that everyone's going to be talking about. That's going to be as hyped right. up as whatever, or more hyped up on Netflix or Amazon and Prime. the quality of what's on television in terms oh, of it's so much better. It, I yeah. mean, it's great. Yeah. I mean, of the, I mean, whether you're talking comedy, whether you're talking drama, there yeah. was a time where the first rate entertainment was really, you know, it was really in the movie realm. And these days yeah. it seems like it's increasingly in the television realm. Although yeah. with streaming, it, I think a lot of those lines between uh, film and television are uh, somewhat becoming blurred. Hey, uh, bef- I agree. Before we run out of time, uh, Jason, I know you and I were both, uh, we, we were both members of MoviePass, which for a monthly subscription allowed you to see as many films as you want. And then they cut it back. Then they made it only certain films. Now, apparently it's coming back. Do you think that you would join MoviePass again if it comes back? Uh, if it was like nine ninety nine a month, as long as there's the no restrictions, I would consider it. But also, I mean, then for a while, I was an AMC. Uh, AMC had a good thing where it was like twenty three bucks a month for unlimited movies. 
that was so you, you saw two movies you basically paid for your you know subscription for the month um if there's enough movies that i'd want to see i feel like everything remakes sequels reboots you know marvel movies and granted those are the things that are keeping you know cinemas brick and mortar you know movie theaters alive but it's just not, you know, yeah, like you said, some of the best things, they might be, you know, in theaters for a month and then they're on HBO Max or they're streaming a month later. And I'm like, why did I waste my money on that? So I'm not sure. I wouldn't, I, I want movie theaters to survive. You know, I like it when it was the old ways when you go to the theater and then six months later, you could get the videotape or get it pay-per-view on demand. And then six months after that, a year after it was in the theaters, it's on HBO or Showtime. Okay, that, you know, was, but it's, it moves so fast now that if you don't see a movie in the theater, all you have to do is wait, you know, two months and boom, it's on one of the streaming services. So that's just, uh, the, the business moves much faster. Now. Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, non-Oscar related, uh, uh, earlier in the week, we did a segment asking people the worst movie they've seen starring a great actor. Gun to your head, if you had to pick one right now, what would it be? Okay, De Niro's made a lot of bad movies, and he's such a great actor. Uh, So, I don't know. I'd say maybe... Oh, God, the worst movie with, uh, you know what, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Sean Connery. Okay. Hey, so there you go. That Jason, uh, enjoy the Oscars. We'll, we'll see how right you are. Thank you, as always, my friend. My pleasure. It was great being back on the show. Take Thank care, you. Frank. Check him out. Panandslam.com. Your influence counts. Be sure to use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, and it's Friday. T-G-I-F. And uh, I am really excited to read you a list that I have put together of folks that I believe are worthy of reproachment. I believe these folks are worthy of condemnation. In some cases, we know their name. In some cases, we don't. But in all cases, they are recipients of this week's The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. I must begin with these TikTok vigilantes. A woman went on a racist rant in a Montco pizza shop that's in Pennsylvania. So TikTok vigilantes went after three innocent accountants. Three innocent women were caught in a deluge of harassment and doxing as Internet detectives searched for a woman who went on a racist rant at this pizza shop last month. Candace Bogar changed her name because she didn't want to be called a Karen, but that hasn't stopped the Internet from doing so. And uh, Bogar, who legally changed her name in 2021, did not want to be associated 
with the archetypical name for someone perceived as a white woman of privilege. Yet that pejorative and a bigot are all she has been called on the Internet since being mistaken for a woman who spewed xenophobic vitriol at a pizza shop owner last month. So after what happened here is after a video of a woman's racist rant inside Amy's family pizzeria went viral on Reddit and TikTok in February, the Internet was in pursuit of Rita Ballou, who called owner Omar Quinones an un-American ignoramus for playing Spanish-language television in his shop. Ballou, 55 years old, was later charged with ethnic intimidation and harassment. But before the Hatboro police publicly identified Ballou and TikTok found her Facebook page, several Twitter and TikTok accounts docked, doxed Candace Boger, then Sally Popert, and Tracy Guida, three women who have nothing in common with Bellu other than being blonde accountants and employed, and employed in Montgomery County. The release of their phone numbers and home and work addresses exposed these women to threatening phone calls and threatening emails that left them fearing for their jobs and their safety. After identifying Baloo, but before releasing her name, the Hatboro Police Department issued two warnings to stop harassing the doxxed women. This is the problem with vigilanteism whether it's in real life or on TikTok, is a lot of times you target the wrong people. These are three innocent women who've had their lives ruined because of these TikTok vigilantes. So if you're one of these TikTok vigilantes, I do denounce you. I must also denounce, and I wanted to include this because I gave these guys a shout-out the other day, last week, I believe, I want to denounce the mental health app Better Health, uh, Better Help, because uh, I've actually always had pretty good things to say about Better Help. I've steered a lot of people there, and they've had pretty good results. But I am forced to denounce them because they have been ordered to pay seven point eight million dollars to consumers to resolve claims that it disclosed private patient information to outside parties. The Federal Trade Commission released a an order prohibiting BetterHelp from disclosing consumer health information to specific third parties for the purpose of retargeting or displaying advertisements. You know, if you go to a counselor, even if it's an online counselor, you'd like to think that you can share your information with them without being deluged with targeted ads. But apparently that's too much to ask. Better help? I do denounce you. I must also denounce Republican Senator from Oklahoma, Mark Wayne Mullen, in a heated exchange uh, in the midst of a Senate hearing. Senator Mullen actually told a witness to, quote, shut your mouth during a heated exchange at a Senate hearing. The witness, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Sean O'Brien, went toe-to-toe with Senator Mullen at the hearing before the uh, panel's chairman, Bernie Sanders, had to intervene multiple times to get the questioning back on track. I mean, 
to me, there's no excuse for this. If you're a senator in the midst of a Senate hearing, this is not something that happened in private. This is in the midst of a Senate hearing for the whole world to watch. Carry yourself with some decorum. And, you know, I said the same thing about Anthony Weiner when he was so insulting to Peter King on the floor of the House of Representatives. And it's even more so in the Senate, which is supposed to be a body of elder statesmen. And there's just no excuse for this kind of language, this kind of behavior. Shut your mouth to a Senate witness. No, that's why the witness is there, to offer testimony. How about you do your job and ask questions? Do your job, debate legislation. When it comes time to vote on that legislation, vote on it. Shut your mouth. Shame on you. I would never tell anybody that. Anybody. Not even a private. Uh, I want to denounce Colin Kaepernick. You know, this is really reprehensible. I, I hate to be one of these people that jump on whatever the the issue of the day is that um, uh, that plays into the culture wars or the race wars, but this is just ridiculous. The Colin Kaepernick is is black, but he was adopted and by white parents, and those are the parents that raised him. And in an interview with CBS Chicago, he was promoting his new graphic novel, Change the Game. And he said that he struggled growing up in a problematic household. And he adds, I know my parents loved me, but there were still very problematic things that I went through. It was important to show, no, this can happen in your own home and how we move forward collectively while addressing the racism that is being perpetuated. So... This novel, this graphic novel, tells the story of Colin Kaepernick's journey from high school into, you know, professional sports. And that heavily centers around his lack of choice in his future. His parents particularly tried to steer him in a direction they thought was best, which led to several fights between them and their adopted son. And one of those disagreements was illustrated in the novel was a fight over his hairstyle. He wanted to wear cornrows. And his mother pushed back. Now, I think this is just absurd. I think if there's, I've always said that if there's one, there's two people you should always be grateful for, it's your parents, your your biological parents, because without them, you wouldn't even be here. But if you're lucky enough to be adopted because the parents, your biological parents didn't want you for whatever reason. They couldn't take care of you. What other circumstances? You should be incredibly grateful that you were raised in a loving household. And you know what? It seems like Colin Kaepernick was had an upbringing that was actually somewhat privileged. And I'm not knocking it. Good for him. I These, these parents were trying to steer him in a proper direction... And because he, they wouldn't, they didn't want him to have cornrows in his hair. He's saying they perpetuated racism. I find this so objectionable. I find this so disrespectful to the people that bore you. I would never say this about my parents. My parents aren't perfect. I, I, I'm yet to meet a pair of parents that are. But to say something like this publicly that they're perpetuating racism. I mean, shame on you.
Colin Kaepernick. Shame on you. I must also denounce federal judge Roger Benitez. You might think that a, a that any American judge would be severely penalized for tormenting an innocent child in court, but you would be wrong. Federal judges protected by life tenure are apparently free to mistreat people in their courtrooms, including spectators with impunity and little fear of punishment. And that is just what happened last month in San Diego when senior federal district judge Roger Benitez committed what I would uh, what uh, I think a lot of people would consider child abuse. When Mario Puente brought his 13-year-old daughter to Benitez's courtroom, he hoped her visible support might help him persuade the judge that he was committed to turning his life around, rather than being returned to prison for violating his parole on drugs charges. Benitez was indeed moved by the girl's presence, but in a stunningly inhumane direction. Before the hearing was over, the teenager found herself weeping in handcuffs at the judge's command, even though she had done nothing more than sit quietly in the spectator's section while her father attempted to talk himself out of more prison time. Think about that. 13-year-old girl comes to support her father at his sentencing, and she gets handcuffed. In the middle of the proceeding. I mean, shame on you, Judge Benitez. The father, by the way, Mario Puente, had already served five years for drug possession. And he had offended again while on supervised release, which would likely mean a return to prison. And he was allowed to address the court before sentencing. And the defendant tried to explain the impact of continually running into his old drug-using friends and how he might be able now to avoid them if he could remain on the outside. So he tells Judge Benitez, it's a reoccurring cycle. It's a revolving door. Leaving what I know, leaving everybody I know. Then this guy made a reference to his daughter, meant only to emphasize his commitment to staying away from those, you know, those guys that do drugs. And he said, she is following the same footsteps as I am right now. The judge, Benitez, interrupted and asked Puente what he meant. She's basically growing up where I grew up, so she's encountering the same people that I grew up with that's going to lead her into the same path that I went down. That's what he said. So that triggered a harsh reaction from this lunatic in black regal robes who turned to the courtroom marshal and said, you got cuffs? As he ordered the girl to approach the bench. Put the cuffs on her, the judge instructed the marshal, who evidently complied without protesting, handcuffing the crying child behind her back. Benitez told the marshal to place the girl in the jury box, handcuffed and crying, and finally released her from the restraints. Af- uh, released her from the restraints after a while, but he wasn't done. Rather than allow her to return to the galaxy, the judge begins lecturing her. How did you like the way those cuffs felt on you? The judge demanded. The girl, through tears, says, "I didn't like it." <laughs> 
How did you like sitting up there? The judge asks. I didn't like it, she says through tears again. Good. That was the message I was hoping to get to you. So your dad's made some serious mistakes in his life and looks at where it's landed him. And if you're not careful, young lady, you'll wind up in cuffs and you'll find yourself right where I put you a minute ago. And then he adds, you're an awfully cute young lady. And I have a feeling you have a wonderful life ahead of you. But from what I just heard from what your dad from your dad causes me to be very troubled. Finally, he allowed this poor girl who I guarantee you was regretting coming to the courtroom to return to her seat next to an aunt and a family friend. And then he sentences her father to an additional 10 months in prison. With zero cause, with zero provocation, with zero justification, he shackled an innocent child while hectoring her about a grim future as she cried. This judge is an absolute buffoon. An absolute buffoon. Uh, Judge Roger Benitez, I do denounce you. I must also denounce, I don't believe we have this woman's name, but a Tacoma woman with tuberculosis who has refused treatment since 2022, and they have now issued a warrant for her arrest because she's going all over town potentially spreading tuberculosis, and they fear this might be another typhoid Mary situation, but the patient is still refusing to isolate and get the treatment she needs to treat tuberculosis. So there's now a civil arrest warrant, which will authorize law enforcement to detain her uh, on or following Friday, March 3rd, which I realized was last week, and take her to a facility equipped for isolation, testing and treatment. Guys, if you have tuberculosis, not only for your own health, but for the health of the whole community, please get treatment. Get treatment. Unnamed woman with tuberculosis, TB Mary, we'll call you. I do denounce you. I must also denounce the judge at the um, at the Southern Poverty. Excuse me, not the judge. The lawyer. See, I still got that judge on my brain. The a lawyer by the name of Thomas Webb Jurgens. He's a lawyer for the Southern Poverty Law Center who has been charged with domestic terrorism amid the Atlanta riot. He's been released on bail. But look, this is a lawyer supposedly for a group that is um, supposed to be reputable. And he's out there rioting with demonstrators that are hurling bricks and throwing Molotov cocktails at police police officers and setting cars on fire. I mean, this is horrible. Um, These were about the protests over a planned Atlanta police training facility dubbed by opponents Cop City. Well, maybe Atlanta could use a few more cops. And maybe the Southern Poverty Law Center could use a few less rioters in their ranks. I'd be interested if this guy's going to keep his job. Is that what they're saying over there at the Southern Poverty Law Center? You're able to just riot with impunity? I want to denounce anyone, particularly California residents, who is calling 911 over planets in the sky. 
there have been two shiny dots in the sky, uh, very visible in California. And apparently it startled a whole bunch of residents in California's Central Valley. And the Stanislaus County Sheriff had to take to Facebook on Thursday to tell people they should not call 911 as NASA confirmed that these stars, in fact, were Jupiter and Venus. There's no reason to report this. Adding they received multiple calls to dispatch. Guys, the 911 operators are busy people. But aside from that, for every call that they're taking from you because you've seen Jupiter or Venus, that's a call that it might take them a little bit longer to respond to. Don't call 911 unless it's an emergency. If you think you see a UFO, you, there, you can go to the UFO reporting network. You don't have to call 911. I mean, it's absurd. And finally, I must denounce the city of San Francisco. According to the 12 cities analyzed, San Francisco's restaurant goers are the worst tippers in the country. This is according to a new report from the restaurant sales platform Toast, with a number of other cities in the Midwest and Rocky Mountain region slotting in as some of the most generous in the U.S. Cleveland, by the way, was the only city with an average tip that was above 20%. It was followed by Denver and Salt Lake City. There you have it. But the absolute worst tippers, San Francisco. San Francisco. New York, D.C., and Seattle, they all had an average tip in the 18% range. It was not too bad. All right. Um, hey, if you want to comment on anything that we're talking about, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. You're also encouraged to join our Facebook group. You can go to um, facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano, or you can just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters, and that's a, a forum for uh, basically discussing the things that we talk about on the show and uh, following up on issues that we've brought up, giving your opinion on things that we've done, and uh, we also post the music in the uh, in the that we play as bumper music there each and every morning after the program as well. All right, coming up in a minute, Sal Greco. You may remember he was an NYPD officer who was fired essentially because of his association with Donald Trump. Well, there was an article in the New York Daily News a day or two ago that Sal was calling for the police commissioner to be fired for palling around with a convicted felon, Cardi B. Well, something very interesting has happened. It's being reported that Juanita Holmes, one of the top chiefs at the NYPD, is being transferred, being demoted, essentially, for exactly that. We'll get into it with Sal Greco in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is Cardi B. Cardi B is a uh, a rapper, a hip hop artist. She's uh, she's very popular. Her music is not really my thing, to be honest. Uh, but she also happens to be a convicted felon, I believe. Uh, we'll get into the uh, yeah. She was, I believe, convicted of assault. And um, that has raised a very interesting question having to do with hypocrisy. Do you remember Sal Greco? Sal Greco was a 14-year member of the New York City Police Department. And he was essentially drummed out of the department for associating with convicted felons. People like my friend Roger Stone and uh, Kristen Davis. Well, one of the things Sal Greco was saying is, well, if that's the protocol that the department is going to go by, if that's what the patrol guide said, if I get fired for this, why shouldn't the people that palled around with Cardi B get fired for this? Here to tell us about that and a whole lot more is uh, new, newly minted Florida resident Sal Greco. Hello, Sal. Oh, good morning, Frank. It's good to to be with you back on the show and. That's right. You know, Florida is a sunny place for shady people, as you know, and uh, it's uh, very, very, very warm and hot down here. So um, what are you doing these days? By the way, before we talk about what's happening with Cardi B and the um, and the police department, what are you what are you doing with yourself down there? Do you, are you working? What are you doing? Well, actually, Frank, it's 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 not easy to even try to get a job when your name has been dragged through the mud the way the New York City Police Department has done with me uh it's not you can't get a law enforcement kind of job even getting a you know if you try to get a security job you need to get licenses and it's just it's not very easy when your name is all over the place when they've uh accused you of being you know quote unquote an insurrection an insurrectionist and uh, there is no facts uh based on this uh accusation but you know, uh, you know, every day is a struggle here, but, you know, at least, you know, I'm not dealing with anything that uh, all the drama that uh, occurred in New York. Yeah. Well, I know when uh, Ron DeSantis was up here, he was uh, he was saying how they're offering a something like a ten thousand dollar bonus to New York police officers to relocate down to Florida and become cops down there. Is that something that you'd be eligible for at all? Uh, I, I think I could possibly attempt to uh, get a job like that. But the problem is because I was terminated by the NYPD. I see. That would that would be the issue. And they terminated me. There's no uh, what we would call a good guy letter. You know, you can't just transfer from one department to the next without a good guy letter. So because I was terminated in the way I was terminated, there's no there's no gotcha. chance of anything like gotcha. that. All right. Well, I know you filed uh, a lawsuit and uh, I, I actually think uh, you have a pretty good chance with this lawsuit. How's the lawsuit going? Give us an update on it. Uh, this is a lawsuit for uh, for wrongful termination, right? That is correct, Frank. So the uh, other day on two, on Monday and Tuesday, we filed a um, an amendment to my lawsuit and my lawsuit originally was for a wrongful termination, but we added a comparable argument to it. And as you know, Frank, so they have a rule in the New York City Police Department. It's a patrol guide procedure, and it goes, you cannot wrongfully and knowingly associate with someone who was likely to have engaged in or engaged in criminal activity. Their claim was that I, this person, for me, would be Roger Stone. 
They're saying Roger Stone is a criminal. Well, then I turn around and wrote, well, you ostensibly have terminated me stating this. And on top of it, you also wrote the police commissioner found that the findings by the judge in my NYPD department trial, the administrative trial, she stated that my continued employment in the New York City Police Department was detrimental to the police department due to my relationship with Roger Stone. Therefore, I must be terminated. Well, if that's the case, the other day, as you notice, Cardi B, who is a convicted criminal and a well-known gang member, a member of the Bloods, was ushered into a secure police facility despite all of this. And she was pictured with and twerking with all these people, all the employees of the New York City Police Department, whether they're officers or civilian members. And that is in direct violation of this rule because there are no exceptions. There's nothing that states community service or there's nothing that, 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 that allows this to happen. So then my argument is, is pretty simple. Then the police commissioner must know about this. There is nothing that happens without the police commissioners knowing in the NYPD, just like a, uh, an organization, the structure, a CEO would have to know what's going on. It's the same thing in the New York City Police Department. So therefore, Mayor Adams is the only person that could fire the police commissioner. She has violated this rule, and therefore she should be terminated along with every single person that works for the New York City Police Department came in contact with Cardi B. Yeah. Um, and if so, we're talking with Sal Greco, uh, fired New York City Police Department. He's got a lawsuit against the department for uh, wrongful termination. And they've added this uh, comparable treatment situation regarding Cardi B. By the way, I think earlier I mentioned the fact that I thought Cardi B was a, a convicted felon. Technically, that is not true. She is a convicted. She's convicted of two misdemeanors uh, for this uh, strip, the strip club assault case. So she's been pled guilty to two misdemeanors. And uh, she's not been convicted of a felony. And I guess that is a bit of a difference. So, uh, Sal, there are going to be some people that say, look, you're totally twisting the spirit of this rule in the patrol guide. You're hanging around with uh, Roger Stone, who was a pardoned uh, convict, and Kristen Davis, who um, was convicted and did her time. And uh, Cardi B is visiting to as part of her community service as sort of a, kind of a mentorship situation. What do you say to people that say you're you're kind of splitting hairs by comparing the situation involving Cardi B to your situation? Well, actually, Frank, there is another rule that also states you can't wrongfully and knowingly associate with someone who's part of a, a hate group or a prejudice group. So uh, the bloods would fall on that as she is still a self-admitted gang member, and she's also tweeted out things that were very adversarial to the police department. So you have that part. But then the argument is real simple. Then why can't we invite Roger Stone to the police academy and say Roger Stone should be giving a a speech about, you know, constitutional rights and how we need law enforcement in our in our community to, uh, you know, for for protection. But I guess maybe Roger Stone doesn't twerk the same way Cardi B does, because the whole premise of this is they're trying to moderate the content. It's what they're trying to say is Roger Stone is bad. Cardi B is good. And that rule that they have is has no exceptions. It doesn't say if someone is convicted of a felon, a felony or this person was convicted. It says 
anyone who is likely to have engaged in or engaged in criminal activities. She is a convicted criminal. Therefore, there is no separating this. And, and then if they're also going to say this, Frank, where they're saying, well, the chief of the police academy, she's the sole person to blame, as the police commissioner is, is kind of trying to say in the article here, then it's further proof the rank structure is broken mm. under the police commissioner. Because as you know, Frank, it's a rank structured job. And trust me, I, w- I worked there for 14 years. You can ask anyone on the NYPD, including any supervisor, anyone that's high up. Nothing happens without a rubber stamp from the police commissioner. So to say that she has no idea this happened, where, you know, she, the, the, police the police commissioner gets briefings every morning, just like the president does for the United States. The police commissioner gets briefings every morning of all the, the, the whereabouts or anything that is going on inside the department and outside the department. To say she doesn't know that Cardi B was coming to the police academy is trying to take people for a ride. It's, you know, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, so it looks like uh, Juanita Holmes, the NYPD chief, uh, one, uh, a leading NYPD chief, I think the top ranking chief, is uh, getting disciplined a little bit for this Cardi B situation. Apparently, she's been drummed out of the NYPD, and sources told the New York Daily News that it, that uh, the fact that she invited Cardi B to a police event and got her in a lot of trouble, and the commissioner wanted her out. Also, the fact that she went directly to the mayor over Cardi B's head um, and got got his permission to relax some of the department's physical training requirements, that led her to sort of run afoul of Commissioner Sewell, and now she's out of the NYPD, but she's landed on her feet because Commissioner, because Mayor Adams is now naming her commissioner of the city probation department uh that's a lot more of a glamorous exit than you got sal isn't it that that is right frank but again this action is direct correlation from my lawsuit they won't just move a chief saying well you tried to change the one and a half mile run in the nypd and the physical requirements it's more of they're all named in this lawsuit so now frank you realize that now even Mayor Adams can be deposed in my lawsuit. The police commissioner will be deposed. Juanita Holmes would be deposed. It, this is opening up a can of worms with all their actions. So for them to even, it, it really, Juanita Holmes, unfortunately, is the NYPD and the police commissioner is trying to use as a scapegoat for what really is going on. Because either way you look at it, Frank, if you're trying to blame her, then it shows that the rank structure is clearly broken. And if you're trying to play stupid, really, there's no way this didn't happen without the approval of the police commissioner. And like I said, Frank, you can't associate with someone who's likely to have engaged in or engaged in criminal activity. So either way you look at it, if you're terminating me for this exact procedure, then how can you not terminate the police commissioner and every other officer and any other civilian member of the police department that came into contact with Cardi B? The rule is the rule, Frank. We can't have two standards. There's only one standard. That's why it's uh, the Constitution. You actually think, and I think you might be right, that your lawsuit brought so much attention to this, that this was a clear violation of the patrol guide, that it it resulted in uh, Juanita Holmes being kicked out of the NYPD. That's right, Frank. And and unfortunately, she's being scapegoated for this. Because really, Frank, I don't know how you would say that a... 
chief of the police academy made this decision without no one above her, which is the police commissioner or someone in the police commissioner's office not signing off on it. It's unheard of. It's like saying we're going to bring someone into a company and not notify the owner of the company. That's just that would never happen, especially such an organization as big as the New York City Police Department. It's a it's a law enforcement place. And Frank, the police, the police academy is a secure police facility. It, you know, there's there's there are weapons there. There's highly classified uh, documents in the NYPD there. There's all there's recruits. So there's all these new police officers. And you're going to bring a convicted criminal who's also a gang member and has literally fought police as if there's a video of her fighting them when they were arresting, uh, I believe, her husband or, or boyfriend. You're bringing this person to the police academy and you're telling everyone this is acceptable. So then why aren't you saying so? What, why is Roger Stone not acceptable? That, that's really I, I think it's a great I think it's a great question and a great point. So, Sal, you mentioned uh, the mayor, the police commissioner, Juanita Holmes. They could all be deposed as part of your lawsuit. What is the next uh, step in your lawsuit? What is the time frame for when we'll get to the point of des- depositions? OK, so now uh, the, the judge mooted their uh, motion to dismiss also. Oh, and well, that's a big victory they, for you, I would think. They, right. Yes, yes. And they also uh, set a date for a conference. May 31st is when they were supposed they're going to sit down and this will begin the discovery phase of this. So this is where, you know, we, we're going to ask for all kinds of records, you know, at least five years worth. Because believe me, Frank, this is at least 40 years of this kind of stuff happening. And this may have happened in, in, in the prior administration, meaning it could have been under the previous police commissioner and the previous uh, mayor administration. But it would show that there's always been a precedent here in the way they do things. Because also remember, Frank, they used an administrative code as far as a subpoena use in my case. And my case was criminal on paper, but yet they never conferred with the district attorney of the New York City and had a grand jury. They just used an administrative code, an administrative procedure, which was done inside of one police plaza. So and, and it was done illegally because they've also been told not to do this because they used it on New York, uh, New York Post reporters and so on and so forth. So that is a whole issue. That's another issue that under discovery, we will know exactly what they did. And this happens on May 31st. So, folks, this trial is set to go. It's right. not a joke. It's not it's not you know, no one could just laugh at it anymore and say, oh, well, Sal Greco, he's just making the claim. And I know, you know how Roger Stone is. No. This is for real, folks. We're we're set to go on May thirty first. Well, it's uh, very it's very interesting, very exciting. It's a fascinating legal case uh, as well. Uh, I'm e- certainly eager to see what happens. Uh, Sal, it's great to talk with you. I know uh, you're coming up to New York soon. Uh, maybe our paths will cross in person. Until then, let's chat again soon. All right, and give my best to uh, our friend Roger Stone. Uh, of course, I will, Frank. And listen, anyone also anyone that wants to help me. You could go to helpthisnycop.com if you if you if you're inclined to try to help. But listen, everybody's prayers and your support it means the world to me, including you, Frank. I know you're you're my friend, and you know it means the world to me. The power of prayer works. Truly, it's a spiritual thing that's going on. It's really helped me out, and I could see that the support that everyone's given me has pushed this to the level that it's at. Because what looked like was impossible. Now seems like it's going to be a fight all the way to the end. And That's it's a great. Spiritual fight. That's great. Uh, right. And, Frank, and uh, I'll see you, Frank. When I, I, I got to come up there. Uh, when you do have your softball event, 
that you cheated on last time. I know we discussed <laughs> this. I'm coming there. I'm training every day, Frank, just to – I'm going to play this softball game as you cheated and you know it. You made up you, – you scored six runs in that first inning – and then you changed the rules on us, and you ended up winning by three runs. Sal, so you know that you cheated. Sal, the best thing you could do is a, a, a little less time in the gym and a little bit more time at the batting cage. That would be my advice for you, okay? All right, Sal. Take it easy, touché, my friend. Touche, Take it easy. All right, Frank. All right, Sal, Sal Greco. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. We had this charity softball game in uh, at the end of summer, the beginning of fall. And um, a lot of a lot of you know a lot of celebrities came and a lot of salute pseudo celebrities and Sal was one, and you know we were choosing teams and I wasn't the captain of either team, but the captain of one of the teams, Newsmax uh, TV host John Tobacco, he picked Sal and pretty early on because Sal he's built like he's built like a, a Greek god like if you've ever seen the wrestler Roman Reigns he looks exactly like Roman Reigns right. So you'd think he's something of an athlete. Sure enough, he is maybe the worst softball player I've ever seen. Couldn't catch anything, couldn't hit anything. I mean, a ball, it was one of those things where almost like when you'd play when you were in fifth grade, you would target trying to hit the ball to him because you knew if you got it to him, it would be an automatic minimum triple. Uh, My friend John said to me, he said, I'll tell you, Sal and one other person who played – I don't even think these guys ever even played a little league. So I'm glad to hear that Sal is training. Hopefully that's what uh, that that will mean that this uh, firing is a uh, a positive for him. All right. You want to comment on any portion of our show, please give me a call 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. <laughs> Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your calls in just a moment. It's Friday, which is very exciting. Matt Blaze, to the best of your knowledge, do we have a meeting after the show today? Are you aware of this at all? As far as I know, we do. We do? Yes. Okay. Well, have you been informed that we do? I was informed that every Friday we were going to have a meeting at approximately 5 a.m. Right. But- I've heard nothing different. So I'm assuming there's a meeting. That's one of those things that we're scheduled to have a meeting unless we don't have it, right? I mean, 
We are going to find out at 5 a.m. All right. Well, I um, I had a meeting scheduled um, for later this morning, so I made plans around that. You know, so I'm sticking around anyway, and I'm meeting a friend for uh, for breakfast a little later. But I usually try and get home early on Friday because um, my wife does these TV hits, and it's a lot easier if I can entertain Carmine while you know while she's doing the TV hits from her office. But uh, today. I uh, made these plans. Uh, I have a friend in town from Florida, so I, I am. I, I got. I'm going to see him with my wife's blessing. So uh, I'll just get home a little later. It's all good. Maybe I'll, I'll try and squeeze a nap in, depending on when this meeting takes takes place. Right? We'll see. If it takes place right at five, then I can move my car, go to my friend Arthur's office, have a nice little nap in the Sinatra room, and go have the meeting. Have the breakfast meeting. If the meeting takes place two hours after five, then forget about it. My whole day is kaput. I'm done. My whole weekend. is. I may as well just throw in the towel for the whole weekend. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. I don't think we have plans tonight, though. So I'm hoping we can see at least one more of these uh, Oscar-nominated films. I haven't seen Elvis yet. I'm a huge Elvis fan. Uh, and the one of the things that's challenging when I got that question in the first hour of who's your favorite singer of all time, the two others that did occur to me were Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash. Big fan of both of them, but there's only one Frank Sinatra. And I um, I am looking forward to seeing this movie. My wife is not the biggest Elvis fan, but I think she's going to like the picture anyway. So maybe we'll watch that. Or I heard that uh, on Amazon, Women Who Talk is available just until Sunday for free. But I heard that's very boring. So if we have a choice of watching Elvis or Women Who Talk, I'm going to lobby for uh, for Elvis. And then uh, Saturday, my neighbors having a St. Patrick's Day party, which should be a lot of fun, in spite of the fact that I'm probably going to be the only sober person at this party. But that's just fine. And then uh, on Sunday, uh, I am going to be smarting from losing an hour of sleep because of the annual idiocy that we call daylight saving time, which means you are going to have to set your clocks ahead an hour, which is a disaster for all of us. The only people that um, that benefit at least somewhat slightly from this are the people that happen to be awake listening to the radio at that time because they're saved an hour of Curtis. So other than those people... The rest of us are all screwed. But then on Sunday, um, <laughs> on Sunday, I'm going to my dad's. It's his birthday coming up uh, in a few days. So we're having not only his birthday party, but we're having sort of a, a, a party for all the March birthdays, including my, my uh, brother Alexander's longtime companion, Marley. And I thought, and she doesn't listen to the show, so I don't mind... I don't mind giving this out. I thought what would be a great gift for her. Do you remember the old school kind of toy from 40 years ago? The retro viewer. Do you remember that? You remember how fun those were? I love those. But basically it was like a mini slide projector. So I thought this would be a great gift for her. It's a little dose of nostalgia, which she seems to like. Last year I got her... 
you know, sealing wax for envelopes because she sends a lot of letters. She loved it. And you can, you know, she seems kind of artistic and photo inclined. You can uh, use this childlike gadget to assemble snapshots of your own favorite photos, your own favorite memories. So I thought that would be a uh, a nice gift for her. My wife disagreed. So she said that um, she th- thought it was like it was like giving someone a gift with a chore, with a homework assignment. I didn't agree. So we agreed to go our separate ways in terms of Marley's gift. She's going to get, my wife's going to get Marley one thing. I don't know what it's going to be. And I'm getting her this retro viewer with the ability to make your own gifts, with your own photos. But I think she's really going to like it. Honestly, I'm excited about it. So that's that. 800-848-9222. You know, I am, my wife's birthday is coming up. And so my wife and I both are big on not getting gifts, but getting experiences for one another. So normally what we do is we will go to a Broadway show and I'll invite all of my siblings and all of her siblings to come with us. And then we'll have dinner afterwards. Well, my wife has eight siblings. I have three plus in-laws, right? So I'm on a text message chain with 15 of them. Trying to get 15 people to respond in a timely manner on anything is just such an exercise in frustration because I'm waiting to hear back from them to see how many tickets I should get to make sure that we all sit together because I know one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to get five tickets, right, and then only four people will come and then I'll be left, what am I going to do with this fifth ticket? Or I'll get four tickets and only uh, and and five people will say, oh, yeah, I want to come. So I'm giving everybody till Saturday at 10 a.m. when I shut off my phone due to Smirconish to let me know their final count if they're coming or not. So that's that. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Eddie in Babylon. Hello, Eddie. Frank, always a pleasure to speak with you. You shocked me. I, I almost fell asleep, and I hear the name Anita Ballou, who I dated in high school for a period of time, and then she became an accountant. In Pennsylvania? Well, no, it was in North Babylon. I mean, she might have moved to, might have, you know, her parents are now deceased. They'd be 100 right now. Uh, so she might have moved to Pennsylvania. I'm just, I'm just wondering, a tall blonde girl. Uh, do you have any more information on her? Well, uh, she, we know she's 55 years old. Uh, yeah, so she was younger than me. Okay. Well, well so was uh, your Anita 55 years old? Well, she wasn't when I dated her. She was, No, I, she I'm was, saying, uh, is she 55 years old now? Yeah, she could be, yes. Wow. Well, so yeah. um, you, yeah, you, you haven't, good. yeah, I mean, she's probably, did, did she strike you as racist? No. no. No, it's no, not she, Anita. She it's Rita. Her. Rita. Oh, you said Rita Ballou. Right. Okay. Let's, let's go on to this. I love Elvis also. i got to give you a, a short, sweet story that I, I've done Elvis professionally for a guy out here that has Ron Joe's magic and costume on 112. Not giving a plug, but just giving it credibility. And I, I go out, and he sends me out on this. Elvis thing and at a Christmas party, but he doesn't tell me that the people are uh, they're atheists and they don't believe in Christmas or anything, but it was a big <laughs> joke for them. So I ended up not doing Elvis, but I did Ronnie Dangerfield impressions 
I'll tell you, you know, I get no respect as Elvis all night. And my sister had me, she said, if you don't come to my wedding and do Elvis, I can't invite you. This is my own sister. So like you, I love Elvis the King. And uh, Johnny Cash, uh, I, I don't, you know, sometimes you go down, down, down in a burning ring of fire, my friend. You have a great show. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you Eddie. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, Frank, I got to counter a couple of your uh, denunciations. Okay, you got a minute, so counter away. Okay, the the one with the uh, the judge, when he, you know, the father said that the girl was going down the same path as he did. You ever, do you remember the the story? I mean, the uh, the program Scared Straight. Yes, and that didn't work. There's a reason they don't do that anymore. It worked. It absolutely worked. It, I know. It, I know it worked. It's anecdotal. No, no. But I, uh, my brother John went through it. My brother John went through it. He was getting in a lot of trouble, and w- once he went through Scared Straight, he but never the, did anything. But Kevin, he so that's that, that's one anecdotal. I'm going to put you on hold because I know you said you had one other comment, and I don't want to rush you. But I do want to say this. So, Kevin, hang on, and we'll get, let you talk. They reviewed the kids that went through the Scared Straight program, and they found that the ones that went through Scared Straight were more likely to commit crimes again than people that didn't. That, so that's why they don't do that anymore. So, but we'll let Kevin say whatever what he wants after the top of the hour. Coming up in a moment, should you be able to wager on a fake sport? We'll see. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. It's the weekend. There is no excuse for being in a bad mood on Friday. I love Fridays. Fridays are just wonderful. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. We're going to return to your call starting with Kevin in New Jersey in just uh, a minute. He had an interesting take on the Scared Straight program, and uh, we'll let him make his point on a bridge. Well, you've watched The Simpsons. Once in a while, I still watch The Simpsons. It's um, more I watch it because it's occasionally still amusing. But really, I watch it as a memorial to when it was a great show. There were about 15, 20 years where The Simpsons was phenomenal. And eh, really, for the at least the last 10 to 12 years, it's been pretty weak. Okay. Uh, that being said, there's one episode that I watched uh, a long time ago when it was on. Uh, it le- probably, I don't know, 
at least 25 years ago, right around then. And Krusty the Clown has a gambling problem, and he gets in deep with the mob. And you're watching this episode, and Krusty keeps losing money, betting, and he's betting. And it's almost like uh, Harvey Keitel's character in The Bad Lieutenant or... Um, or Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems. So much of the episode centers on the sporting events and the other gambling events that they have and monitoring their gambling on it. So Krusty the Clown is watching a basketball game with his manager or his agent, and he's looking pretty stressed. So uh, watching the game, he's looking stressed, and here's a little bit of what you might have heard. Let me get this straight. You took all the money you made franchising your name and bid it against the Harlem Globetrotters? Uh, I thought the generals were due. He's spinning the ball on his finger. Just take it. Take the ball. That game was fixed. They were using a freaking ladder, for God's sakes. (laughs) Now, the reason that's funny is because, of course, the game is fixed. But everybody knows about it. So here's a fundamental question. Should you be able to wager on something like a Harlem Globetrotters basketball game? Something where you know the outcome is fixed. Now, you might think that's such a stupid question, Frank, because... They're never going to allow that. No gambling uh, regulator in America would ever allow that. Well, maybe not so much. Uh, I used to be very active in uh, public access uh, cable television. And I'm hoping to get active again from a different perspective. But I used to volunteer to produce different shows. I used to host a show. That's kind of how I got my start in broadcasting. And there's different characters on on the show, about both behind the scenes and volunteering. And there was one guy, his name was Ron, very smart guy. And he, in his spare time, would be a, a pro wrestling referee. Not for any of the big federations, but for smaller independent matches. And so I loved asking him about wrestling. And then there was another fellow who volunteered. His name's Brian, Brian Respler. Great guy. He unfortunately... He, uh, very sad, he moved to Minnesota and um, he uh, got married and w- I think started a family and was was killed by a driver that was either, he was just walking home and he was killed by a driver that was either drunk or high. And it's just a very sad situation. He was a great guy. I do miss him. But, you know, Brian was, um, I don't want, how can I put this delicately but still being descriptive, Brian was was uh, special, right? Uh, Brian was uh, I, I don't I don't know that he w- I I think he was highly functioning, developmentally disabled. Okay, so he but a very nice guy, and he and I were very good friends, and he was really into pro wrestling. I think really the only things he ever really enjoyed were volunteering at this public access channel. And watching pro wrestling. So uh, this is 20, 22 years ago. And I'm asking, oh, Brian, what are you doing? What are you doing this weekend? Right. I think it was Super Bowl weekend. But it will also no, maybe. Well, I don't remember. But I said, Brian, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, he says, I'm getting together with all my friends. We're going to watch the wrestling pay-per-view. And it's going to be it's going to be wild. 
and I know, you know, Brian doesn't drink or anything. And I said, well, what's wild? What are you going to be doing? He says, oh, we're going to be arguing with one another and we're going to be betting and all sorts of other things. And I, you know, I'm trying to act like a smart aleck. And you think I'm a smart aleck now? Imagine me 22 years ago with with all that youthful bravado. I was much, much worse, much worse. Uh, Apologies to everybody that I knew back then. So I turned to Ron, who's a wrestling referee and occasional public access cable volunteer. I said, Ron, Brian informs me that he's going to be betting on the wrestling pay-per-view tonight with his friends. I said, as somebody that has some experience in pro wrestling yourself, would you say it's advisable to bet on matches where the outcome is predetermined, where it's essentially fixed, as Krusty the Clown said of the Harlem Globetrotters? And Ron said, his answer surprised me. He says, well... If both sides know it's fixed, I don't see the harm. And sure enough, neither does Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, the CEO of the WWE, or I I can't keep track if he's the CEO or not. He stepped down, then he was coming back. Now he's trying to engineer this, uh, this, this sale to the Saudis, which may be just one giant wrestling angle. I don't know his current status, but he's, he's the, whether he's the boss in title, He's certainly the boss in practice. So, he wants fans of pro wrestling to be able to wager real money on the outcome of WWE matches, which the Federation acknowledges are predetermined. So, he's reportedly pitched a a pair of state gambling regulators on a plan to take bets on matches at WrestleMania, which is coming up uh, in the next few weeks, and other major events. So the plan hinges on tapping an accounting firm to ensure the scripted match outcomes remain a secret until the event has concluded. Now, that's a setup that could assuage concerns from sports betting officials about leaks. Because, look, if a wrestler knows that he's going to win... Why wouldn't he tell his brother? The brother tells his friend. The friend tells 10 friends. And all those people bet on the wrestler they know is going to win. So CNBC is saying that WWE executives have reportedly compared their betting plans to wagers offered by some operators, including DraftKings and FanDuel, on each year's Academy Award winners. As with wrestling, the award winners are selected well in advance of the Oscars broadcast. However, few states allow wagering on award shows. So the wrestling giants already in talks with officials in Colorado and Michigan regarding the plan. So during the talks with regulators, the representatives for the WWE discuss the possibility of determining match results months ahead of time with wrestlers and other employees only learning the outcome right before the match. So they would determine who's going to win at WrestleMania. So that WrestleMania is uh, Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns. And so maybe they determine it now. And they're not going to tell Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns about it until right before the match, right before they go out there. Which strikes me as pretty interesting. I am curious what you think about this idea. Because Colorado and Michigan are just the tip of the iceberg. 
if they can get it done there, even if they can't, you know they're going to push for this in New York, in New Jersey. And I'm in an interesting position because I, uh, I'm i a pro wrestling fan. I don't watch it as closely as I did decades ago, but I try to watch it when I can, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it as an art form, and I enjoy the spectacle of it and the showmanship of it. And I'm also a gambler, and I do bet on sports. I don't, I don't go crazy, but when I'm in Atlantic City, I'll put a hundred bucks on the Mets, uh, you know, a hundred bucks on whatever team I happen to be rooting for. And I have to tell you, as much as I would be interested in betting on pro wrestling matches, I think this is a very poor idea. But on the contrary, maybe this could be just what pro wrestling needs to inject a new, a little bit of life into its fandom. What do you think? Do you think everybody acknowledges that pro wrestling matches are predetermined? Should people be able to place a legal sports bet on a predetermined outcome? What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Should betting on fixed matches be permitted? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. I vote no. Uh, Matt Blaze, you have an opinion? I know you're a wrestling fan. Yeah, I'm a little conflicted because, like, the last pay-per-view with Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn, right? You knew Roman Reigns was going to win, but there was still, like, that little bit of hope that maybe at the end they'll give it to Sami Zayn. But I think I don't... Knowing wrestling, and they plan the matches, they plan the finish, they plan it all out. There is no way that at the right before the wrestlers go out that they're going to go, oh, by the way, you're going to win. Like I, I can't see that happening. They plan it all well in advance of what they're going to do and how they're going to go about it. They always talk about wrestling is like a story. There's ups and downs, and there's there's just I don't see how it would work with betting like there's just going to be a leak. There, there's going to be. I can't see how there wouldn't be. You don't buy the WWE regulators when they say we're going to solve that by just telling the wrestlers the outcome right before the match. No way. You don't buy No it. way. And and maybe they would tell them that or they'd say, oh, we're going to tell the ref in his ear which finish to use or the wrestlers. I, I could see maybe them telling them that. But they're, WWE has already partnered with DraftKings. So they do have betting on wrestling through DraftKings, through only DraftKings. And I guess maybe prop bets like how many tables are going to get broken in a match or a right. night, well, that's, stuff like yeah, that. That's different. That's not the outcome. Right. That's not what they're but talking about. But in terms about. of the outcome, I, I don't see it working. I certainly would never place a bet on that because I go, yeah, they're going to see how many people bet against so-and-so. Right. And then the other they're just gonna, yeah. the other got to win. Exactly. Well, that that's what makes right. it – that uh, that actually is an argument in favor of it from both the better's perspective and from a gambler's perspective. If it's, um, you know, if it's uh, Bill Goldberg versus – is Dale Wolf? The betting would run a thousand to one, you know, against Dale Wolf. But it's you know that that's just the kind of uh, upset that they'd love to uh, they'd love to do. But then you have to take that into account. Are right. they going to go too far in that direction? I think it would be fun as a better and as a wrestling fan. But as a matter of public policy, I don't think this should be allowed. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Now, uh, before the uh, the top of the hour, 
uh, Kevin in New Jersey had called. He was taking issue with uh, some of my denunciations, and uh, he mentioned specifically the Scared Straight program. If you didn't hear denunciations, go back and listen to the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. Just go to the other side. Just go to um, uh, the other side of midnight on any podcast app or just go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com. But, Kevin, I've spoken enough. I will let you make your points unabridged. Okay, Frank. Getting back to that Scared Straight, I remember – the, the main reason I think they, they ended it is because of the, the all the backlash they got because they said how harsh it was and how hard it was on the kids. Not that it didn't work. It was because it was so bad that they put the kids through so much that it traumatized the kids, and that's the reason why they stopped it. I believe it absolutely worked because, I mean, how could it not? That's not going to scare you straight if you went through that program? Would you ever, do, would you ever commit another crime? Well, so, so maybe the judge was trying to do that with this girl and say, look, this is what your life is going to lead to if if you follow in your father's footsteps. I'll get back to the scared straight uh, thing in a second, but let's say you're right. Let's say everything that you said is correct. That being said, this is a, a girl, a minor, who did nothing wrong, and a judge doesn't have the right to the people that were there for that scared straight program, they were all there voluntarily. A judge doesn't have the right to uh, make a a thirteen year old girl who's done nothing wrong sit there in handcuffs. He's not her father. Yeah, but maybe the father wasn't doing the right thing, and when he said that the girl was going down the same path, right, maybe he right, stepped but, in but, thinking but, that he but, had to. But maybe let's say you're right. Let's say the father wasn't doing the right thing. It's still not a federal judge's job to correct a father's parenting mistakes. No, you're right. I, I, I think you're right 100% on that, but I think that was his justification. Oh, I I'm sure it was. was I'm sure it was. Yeah. But, you know, it's all, but I, I think, uh, you know, maybe if, um, if people show up late to work, we can, you know, we can make them uh, clean the toilet bowl with their toothbrush, and chances are they won't show up to late, late for work again. But you still can't do that in the workplace. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. Well, did you have another thought? Because I, you, I know you were yeah, holding the for other a while. one was the senator that said the uh, to told the teamster to shut his mouth. Did, did they report on what the teamster was saying? He might have been saying something much worse. Well, have you ever dealt with these union reps before? Because I, I have. I mean, I, I, watched, I watched the testimony. I, I'll link to it on my Facebook page. People can watch it for myself. I, I, first of all, I don't think he said anything that merited that kind of a, a response. But two, I think that um, even if he did, you're the senator. You should actually, you should hold your, act like you've been there before. Hold yourself to a little bit of a, a higher standard. I appreciate the call, though, Kevin. Let me just, um, and I'm going to get to your calls on the WWE situation. Six open lines, if you. You want to comment 800-848-9222. Let me just mention on the scared straight thing, because other people have brought this up over the years with me. So I went to the trouble foolishly of, of researching it. I, a bunch of people keep asking the same question. I said, oh, let me actually go out of my way to actually learn a thing or two about this. So scared straight, it, it, what it did, if you don't remember this, it put at risk, it pulled at risk kids off the street and put them in prison for a day. The idea behind the program, as you heard from Kevin, was to show kids what life behind bars would be like. And look, it's a great idea. And basically, they wanted to, in effect, scare them straight. You scare them into being good. It seemed like a great idea. And there was a documentary about it in 1979, and it won both an Emmy and an Oscar. 
That's how popular this was. It spawned programs across the country, as well as a long-running TV show on A&E. But despite the program's popularity, and in spite of the, the fact that people loved watching movies and TV shows about it, including me, I loved it, it didn't work. The evidence was overwhelming. The pro, Well, the program did prove effective in producing more criminals. Efforts to scare kids straight not only failed to keep them out of jail, but it also, in some cases, increased the odds they, they'd end up behind bars. Think about that. They actually found that the kids that went through the Scared Straight program were more likely to commit crimes than those who didn't. Still, a lot of state governments said, look at that Emmy, look at that Oscar, look at that A&E show. We're sticking with this program until the Department of Justice warned that they could lose federal funding if they remained committed to something that the evidence proved was ineffective. Today, the only state that has any version of the Scared Straight program is South Carolina. Uh, The other states all uh, abandoned it because the department just said, look, this doesn't work. We're not going to fund this. 800-848-9222. Should you be able to bet on pro wrestling? Yes, no, maybe, why or why not? Let me begin with Peter on Long Island. Hello, Peter. Good morning, Frank. Um, I'm going to be quick. P.T. Barnum, I think he said, a sucker is born every minute. And also, casino gambling is slightly tilted in a small percentage in the favor of the casino. So you know what that outcome is going to be. And you know something? Now with the legalization of marijuana, you know what that outcome is going to be if you if you smoke pot and drive. So as far as I'm concerned, if they can figure out another way to make some more money, let the public let the public do what they're going to do anyway. Oh, so you basically you're saying, look, if people are foolish enough to do this, let them do it. You got it, my friend. Interesting. Okay, it's kind of, I'm kind of a libertarian when it comes to those sorts of things. I just, um, you know, okay, I'm trying to think. What what is the argument against this? Why should the government prohibit this? Um, I don't know. I just I don't like the sound of it. I, I uh, and maybe I should have come up with a more reasoned opposition to this. I just think that um, one. I think to the point that Matt and I brought up earlier, maybe the betting would drive the outcome to some extent, even though they say it's all predetermined in advance and in a lockbox like the Academy Awards. And two, it's just, um, I don't know. It strikes me as really not, not a wise thing to do. It's like betting on the end of a movie. I don't think you should be able to do that. I just don't. I think it's inappropriate. I think it's a big difference from betting on that and a football game. I just, I wish I had a, a sounder rationale in opposition to this. Maybe this is one of the byproducts of uh, not drinking coffee all week. But I just, uh, I don't know. I don't like it. I just don't like it. Rick is in New Jersey. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, good morning, Frank. No, they shouldn't be able to bet on it because you shouldn't be able to bet on any performance that's rehearsed. And that's what it is. It's a rehearsed performance. When they're getting up on those ropes ready to jump, the guy on the mat knows where this guy's going to jump, if he's going to do a double flip so he can land at the right spot. It's like telling a Broadway play cast, uh, we're going to tell you the end of the show at the end. No, they've rehearsed it 20 times already. There's no way in the world they're going to – I agree with Matt Blaze. There's no way in the world. 
that these guys don't know the outcome. And of course, it can be leaked. And just like uh, what supposedly Pete Rose did or whatever, you could bet on yourself. You could bet on the other guy. You know, you, you can have your family bet. Uh, anything that's rehearsed should not be able to be bet on. Yeah, uh, that's kind of where I come down on this, Rick. Thank you. Uh, Johnny is in Baltimore. What do you think, Johnny? Hey, good morning, Frank. I, I think the same thing as the other gentleman. I, I mean, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. Could you imagine Randy Macho Man Savage and Hulk Hogan going for this? It's like every sport now, all we see like prior to the week is, oh, get your picks in or call this 1-900 number for the lock of the week. It's, I want some innocence in some sports, even though it's scripted and we know, you know, it's a pre-planned decision who's going to win. Let's just have some fun and enjoy it for what it is. I don't really want to have to have the stress of somebody sitting next to me getting all fired up because they lost a bet. That's not cool. Yeah. Um, I, you know, first of all, that WrestleMania five main event with uh, Randy Savage against against uh, Hulk Hogan. That would have been something that would have generated quite a bit of betting because I think a lot of people were unsure of who who was going to be the winner. But I think your point's well taken on everything that you just mentioned. Dave in Dumont, hello. Hey, Frank, what's going on? Uh, You tell me. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. Okay. Uh, What's his name? Uh, uh, Bruno San Martino. Mm -hmm. He left... In 1990, he left the WWF when it was the WWF because he thought the whole organization just went in the gutter. That's my comment. That's what I read. He left because he thought it went in the gutter. Okay, so what's your thought about this betting situation? The gambling, as far as the betting, I think uh, I don't think you should bet on something that's that's predetermined. There's enough gambling. There's enough people that, you know, are going to uh, calling, uh, you know, 1-800-GAMBLER, you know, because they're losing all their money or they could lose their house. They could lose their family. You know, there's enough gambling already. I mean, I go down to the FanDuel uh, uh, in the Meadowlands, and, uh, you know, it used to be gambling years ago was for fun. Now it's like for, for an income. Well, look, I, I think there's always been problem gamblers, and there's always, there always will. But I think you and I are on the same page on, on this one. 800-848-9222. George in Manhattan's been hauling a while. Hello, George. Hi, Frank. Yes. Uh, I, I, I wanted to ask you the, uh, a question. I waited 45 minutes, never got to that. But regarding gambling, okay? Now, if you had a casino, are you there? Yes, I'm listening to you, George. Okay. Well, would you, you mind me to interrupt now, you every eight listen. seconds? No, well, I heard some beeps. I thought, uh, okay. Now, uh, if if there was a casino near my home, you know, like a couple of blocks away or, uh, say, 15 minutes, right, I would go there gladly, you know, uh, spend a decent amount, you know, not to get bankrupt or anything and enjoy myself. But in Manhattan, no casinos. And then the hypocrisy is uh, they sell lottery tickets freely. You know, some people buy, like, hundreds of a month, 200 uh, tickets, etc. Uh, I think that's uh, a lot worse than going to the casino gambling uh, 
$100 or thereabouts. Now, you are so busy, you know. Now, I know if you had a casino near uh, your home, you'd visit there uh, uh, more or less once, twice, thrice a week. Uh, now, when you go to Atlantic City, right, you have to go out, out of your way sort of to do it. Uh, uh, and then the traveling, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't bother you. And, of course, you take the plane to go to uh, uh, Las Vegas, right? And I have a very important question uh, which compares you with, uh, uh, with uh, uh, Curtis, okay? Now, you, I think, are more busy per diem each and every day then I think that's what I think because you spend three hours answering, uh, reading emails, etc. But uh, Curtis, he'd never spend a minute reading. Uh, you know, he's that type of a person, in my humble opinion. Now, uh, how many hours do you get to sleep per week? Thirty-five maximum, or I, more or less than thirty-five a week? I, I thank you, George. Honestly, it um, it varies in terms of sleep. Um, it really depends. Less uh, yesterday, I got a lot of sleep. You know, yesterday I had a big traffic accident going home. There was standstill traffic. I was making great time, and all of a sudden, you the la- the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. I am approaching it, and then boom. A traffic standstill, and I ended up in traffic for about 45 minutes or so, maybe more. And all of a sudden, any time savings that I was poised to make were just gone. So um, I I got to sleep, I think, maybe around 7.30. And uh, I I slept late today. I think I slept till about 2.30. I woke up when uh, Carmine woke up. So what's that? I mean, I think that's almost eight hours, right? 7.30 to 8.30. That's one. Well, seven thirty to eleven thirty. That's four to five to twelve thirty. That's five, and then another. That's seven hours. That's so. That's not bad. So today happened to be a very good day, in terms of sleep. Um, but then I, I was very behind on emails to show for it. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to do the thousand dollar minute in a moment. If you would like your chance at uh, trying to win one thousand dollars. Then be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And if you are the seventh caller, you'll get an answer opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do so, you'll win $1,000. Simple as that. We had somebody who was pretty close this week, uh, but uh, he fell just short. Couldn't remember that uh, Australia was the only continent country. If you know what the, you know, if you think you've got what it takes, be the seventh caller now to 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is the 
other side of midnight. That is Derringer. I am a real American. Uh, speaking of real Americans, uh, Navy veteran and our boss, uh, Chad Lopez, has managed to uh, saunter into the studio. Chad, what are you doing here so dark and early? Just got to come in and make sure you're, you're keeping everyone awake, Frank. That's, that's the spirit. Make <laughs> sure we're not putting them to sleep. Yeah, because you're keeping me awake. I can't sleep. Excellent. I love it. I love it. It's good to see you. Um, happy yeah. Friday. Happy Friday. All right. You want to? Ring, you got a ringside seat for the $1,000 minute. You ready uh, yes. to go? Yeah, I got it. All right. Let's do it. The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Let's say hello to Michael in Manhattan. Hello there, Michael. Hello. Michael, big moment for you, because the boss is uh, in the building. He's monitoring this. So, uh, aye, 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 aye. This is okay. big. Pressure's on. <laughs> Not just you, but me. You have any complaints for him while uh, while he's here? You can any Anything you want to change about the network or the programming or anything mm-hmm. at all? No, no. I, 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 look, I'm a big fan of, of the radio station. I usually don't start listening until 5.30, but today i got to get up early. So I, I heard you, and I said, let me call in. Wonderful. So today right. could be your, uh, your lucky day. Why are you getting up early today, Michael? Actually, I'm going to the hospital to have a procedure. <laughs> oh, well, maybe. Well, we hope it's your lucky day then. I hope it's nothing serious. Uh, but let's no. see what we can do to get you some money, all right? You familiar with all this right. game before? Have you heard it? No. Okay. Very simple. Um, you're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna ask you ten questions. Most of them are relatively easy. Some of them are gonna be stupefyingly easy. And if the answer okay. seems too easy, it is. If I ask you what color is George Washington's white horse, it's white. Just say it's white. Okay. Um, but um, if um, it, one once the first question is asked, you're gonna have sixty seconds. We'll start the clock after the first question, and then you're gonna have sixty seconds, and we're gonna go through these questions quickly. And if you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next one so that we can run through all all 10 of them it's not going to be a situation where i say oh that's right you know good job we're going to go right to the next right. one if you get one wrong okay. then you'll hear a wrong buzzer okay okay does all it right. stop if i get one wrong immediately or yes yes you you, you get one okay. wrong you're out yeah then we hope you have okay. better luck with your medical procedure <laughs> <laughs> yes. all right um okay how many letters are in the word dog What direction do birds fly in the winter? South. Who is the current Chief Justice of the United States? Uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist. Ah, I'm sorry. Oh, come on. Had, if this was I'm, the year 2000, the if this was the year 2005, you would be one step closer to a thousand dollars. But unfortunately, it is uh, it is a it is Chief Justice Roberts, John Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. It's tough when you're not used to being up this early. Michael, I'm going to put you on hold. Um, Kenneth is going to take your information. We're going to give you a consolation prize, which uh, Chad has generously authorized and helped design. So if you like it, uh, you can thank me for lobbying for it. If you don't like it, remember it's Chad that designed it, okay? <laughs> okay, thanks so much. All right, Michael. Good luck, seriously, with your uh, procedure today. All right, thank you. Appreciate it, thanks. All right, uh, Chad, we were talking sure. before 
about um, you know pro wrestling. You don't strike me as a big pro wrestling fan, are you? You know what? I, I actually I enjoyed the conversation on my oh, way yeah. in. Okay. I, I heard it. I heard so, it. do you think you should be able to wager on pro wrestling? Um, should it be legally, like go to a casino in Colorado or Michigan? These places they're talking about should that be allowed? Yes, I think it should. Be How allowed. come? Because I think when you're betting, it's 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 you know it's you're betting. You're, right. you're taking a chance on anything, so and, it doesn't matter. I. I also, how do you know what the actual outcome is going to be? Yeah. Really, I mean, it's entertainment, right? WWE right. is entertainment, so right. they could turn around and if they they see the bet going one way, they can say the other guys because I think it actually make uh, WWE more interesting. Yeah, well, I think that's why they want to do this, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I think right. that's what uh, that's what a lot of this is about. Now, there's another uh, there's another issue that uh, that I was going to mention, and since you're here, I'll, I'll yeah. run this by you. You followed the whole drama over uh, Kanye West and that whole thing, right? No. Uh, it was, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't listen to you. No. <laughs> so, um, you know, Kanye West, uh-huh. before he was universally canceled, uh-huh. he was uh, he was in the midst of this big deal with Adidas. Yes. They were going to release these new, uh, this Yeezy gear. Yeah. Right? And Adidas, after... Kanye made his 99th uh, anti-Semitic remark. I said, okay, we can't be in business with this guy. The first problem is they call it Yeezy gear. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So so now, apparently, Adidas is in this very interesting dilemma. So like everyone with a Deathly Hallows tattoo, Adidas is now stuck with a very expensive reminder that a lot has changed in the last few years. Right. Adidas is now sitting on roughly $1.3 billion worth of Yeezy gear after cutting ties with with Yee, formerly known as Kanye West, and no one knows how to get rid of it. They had this earnings call yesterday, and the new CEO made it clear that ditching its unwanted Yeezy stock is their top priority, but they're stuck between a rock and... And an, an anti-Semitic sneaker. So some people have talked about just burning or trashing the gear, but they say that's unsustainable to burn or trash this much of it. Some people say they should donate the shoes, but the fear is that could create a boom in the resale market. And then um, other people are saying like, even if Adidas were to rebrand them and sell them as something else – ye is still promised a cut of the profits. Mm-hmm. So um, – they don't know what they're going to do. Uh, you're a business guy. What would you do? Oh, Yeezy. <laughs> that's a real issue that's going on here. It um, is, right? So the what I would do is I would actually donate it and take the, take the write-off. Take the write-off. Yes. I would. But then, then don't you have a situation where the sneakers are still out there, and let's say they're donated to shoeless children in Bangladesh sure. somewhere, sure. and the Bangladesh kid is going to find a way to get to eBay and sell these <laughs> shoes for $100, right? Don't you create a, a, a resale market yeah. with, all the, with all these shoes that are out there, you know? Good for them. I, I think if the kids, if you find, you donate it to the kids, and the kids that do do that and sell it, we want to hire them. <laughs> there you <Right>? go. There <laughs> you go. I'm curious what people think about this. They say the most likely option is to sell the sneakers and donate the proceeds to charity. But um, they, they mentioned this. The CEO mentioned this as uh, in the call yesterday. But he said, if we sell it, I promise that the people who have been hurt by this will also get something good out of it. Because remember, if they sell it, and right. even if they donate the proceeds, 
seats of charity. Kanye West gets a big cut of that initial sale. So um, (laughs) figuring out how to offload warehouses full of taboo merchandise is uh, is quite a headache, but uh, it's not the only headache they have. Adidas reported about $630 million in uh, lost sales uh, last quarter wow. because of this split with Kanye West. So They got um, to bring Run DMC back. There you go. There you, go. <laughs> you know, he's not going to say anything too crazy. Uh, so if you My, have thoughts uh, on this, uh, feel free. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. What, what, uh, any big weekend plans, uh, No, the weather's but you know what? I'm going to stay home and watch movies and relax. Wonderful. Because the weather's supposed to be not so good tomorrow. So, All right, uh, I, you know, there's Sunday's the Academy Awards. Are, are you an Academy no. Awards viewer? Uh, not so much. Not so not much so anymore? Much. I'm not really a big TV guy. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a big radio guy. There you go. Audio. Me too. Audio. There you I go. Like that's, where it's, that's, that's where it's at. <laughs> Let me pose to you a question that a lot of people sure. have been asking me. Is folks have been saying that, um, you know, uh, the new electric cars made by Tesla and mm-hmm. Ford – they don't have AM radio in it, and they're wondering what this portends for the future of AM radio. What, what do you think? Yeah, this is uh, – obviously, this is one of our uh, hot points here. Um, AM radio, especially with a station like WABC, we're the emergency broadcasting station, right? So you know how that works, I'm sure, on sure. Daisy Chain, and if there was, if there was something to happen – this WABC would take over the airwaves. The FCC would come in, take over the airwaves, and they would inform everyone, right? Um, I don't believe that AM radio is going anywhere. I think uh, a, a lot of it is is marketing, right? I think a, a lot of the, uh, the Tesla and all these cars, they're, they're doing it for data. That's, that's what they want, right? They, want, they don't want the information. You know, they don't want regular information mm. from the um, – from uh, WABC or regular radio stations, they want to program what they want to to the driver, and they're collecting that data uh-huh. in there and how they're using that data, right? So I believe that AM radio is here, I, I, and it's not because we're, we're what we're doing. I mean, look at the growth we've had, yeah. right? Content, it still comes back to AM radio does for news talk, sports. That's where it was born. No it, doubt. Was, it started on AM radio. AM radio, and if you listen to it, it's a different listen than an FM, obviously. You can tell it's different, right? I think the credibility of AM radio is where it, a, a lot of um, and, CEOs— And to your point, and, yeah. one of the things, uh, aside from the programming, the distance of the AM signal is unparalleled. Right. Now, we, we got calls earlier from Canada, yeah. uh, from Ontario and Vancouver. I said, how are you listening? Are you listening on the internet? They said, no, I'm listening on 770 on, on the radio. There's not an FM station broadcasting out of the New York area that could ever that, that, right. reach that could ever do that, right. And, um, you know, one of the things, and this might be one of the conspiracy, uh, and then you tell me what your thoughts are. We know how the AM radios, you know, it's underground, right? It's on ground. Right. It's underground, marsh areas. That's where you have, right, the, the, the signal will come through. Um, that's why they have, it has a hard time within, you know, in, in certain areas because of buildings. Uh, the FM... Is like an umbrella; it, it comes down, right? So you, you, that's that's why you're able to get FM easier than an AM. However, if we were to have a, a, a war, right? What do you think they're going to take out first? They, they know where they, they know where the, right. the FM signals are. They can take that out. It's harder to take out, even if they went after. It, oh, that's a great antenna. point. I hadn't thought of that. It's it's harder to figure out how it's going and you know where the signal is going. So I don't believe. I, I think. 
I don't believe the AM radio is going away. That's just my yeah. My I'm take. with you. I'm with you. I, I'm I'm optimistic, and uh, I was glad that uh, that senator from Massachusetts, Ed Markey, gave Tesla and Ford a hard yes. time about uh, yeah. taking uh, taking AM out of the cars because, as you pointed out. Um, when there's a blizzard, when there's uh-huh. a hurricane, you know, during Hurricane Sandy, right. Curtis and I were on the air in New York for six, seven, eight hours straight, and uh, people's cable were out, uh-huh. uh, people's television were out. Uh, a lot of people didn't have internet. A lot of uh-huh. people weren't sure where to get information from, and we gave it to them for right. hours on end. So right, right. Uh, uh, w- if AM radio ceases to exist in uh-huh. in its current form, what happens in the event of an emergency? I really wonder. Right. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Mike is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike. I tell you, I'm amazed that you would even talk about this wrestling as far as gambling. Well, I mean, I'm not talking stage, about it. It's all fake. Well, Mike, and It's all Mike, stage and fake. Also, Mike, it's the Mike. worst entertainment in the world right. for the kids. Mike, understand, though. Mike, Go ahead. I'm not talking about it. Vince McMahon is actively lobbying regulators in two states, and from what CNBC is saying... They appear ready to be able to permit this. And we're exploring whether they should or not. I'll count you as an undecided. Well, they should not even have it on. You want to know something? I do. I'm going to vote for DeSantis just to get rid of Trump because he associates associates himself with that stupid stuff. (laughs) I mean, you got to be a moron. Well, what if you find out Ron DeSantis is a wrestling fan? Then are you going to change your vote to Nikki Haley? He's a Navy. He's a Navy Seal. He's got, you know who uh, else was a Navy Seal? <laughs> Jesse Ventura. You think Navy Seals don't like wrestling? Uh, you know, Jesse, and, Jesse Ventura time was different. It was different. Let me put it this way: When I was a kid, I couldn't go see a wrestling match. You had to be fourteen or older to go. Say that. Be 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 careful there. Come on. See, this is the, what this what we got to be so quick with the dump button when you're around. We expect the callers to be on their best behavior with with Chad here. Uh, it's funny, uh, but if you do have uh, something you want to get off your chest, now's the time because Chad will hear it. 800-848-9222. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. You're not into the whole TikTok thing, are you? Actually, you know, I I. I uh... I consume it once in a while. Just keep up to date with all the different platforms. Are you up to this orange shower uh, challenge? Are you are you up on this at all? The golden shower? No, orange. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently, the shower orange has made its way to TikTok. Right? Right. There's now uh, this trend of people eating an orange in the shower. Right. So uh, this this trend, because of TikTok's uh, ability to reach people and the speed in which trends move, eating an orange in the shower is a practice that uh, initially gained a buzz over Reddit 10 years ago. But now now that TikTok people have started doing videos about it, people are going crazy and raving about the alleged benefits of taking a an orange in the shower which is something i've never heard of the shower orange so back in uh 2021 this one website the takeout stumbled upon a thriving community on reddit shower orange which currently stands at 80,000 members and the forum was created in 2015 inspired by a comment on ask reddit that asked about unconventional activities that are underrated 
And then within the subreddit, an urban legend also emerged regarding the legality of enjoying an orange in the, sh- in the shower. Mm-hmm. So a Google search with the phrase illegal shower orange yields a number of results in which people on the Internet quite genuinely ask whether there are laws against eating an orange in the shower. The so weird it might be true nature of this kind of story seems to have arisen from, you know, the to- totally from the Internet. There's no truth to it. And so now... Um, TikTok users are all eating oranges in the shower. Apparently, the main appeal, pun intended there, <laughs> is that the the aroma of the orange in the shower and peeling the fruit in a steamy shower, the citrus scent becomes much more pronounced, right, right. creating a, a wonderful sensory experience. And you don't have to worry about sticky hands yeah. because the cleanup is easy. Right. Uh, so you've never tried this. Well, when I shower, I always end with sticky hands. So it would probably be uh, good for me to use an orange. In the shower. Uh, it's probably better. It might be better for you wow. if I ask you fewer questions on this. Uh, Evelyn is in Bayonne. <laughs> Evelyn, hello. Frank, I'll be quick. Good morning. It's a pleasure hearing Chad Lopez himself and <laughs> listening to his input on certain things rather than just hearing his name mentioned. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, he's always welcome. It truly is. I'm well, enjoying it very much. Same here. Thanks very much, thank guys. You, thank you, Evelyn. Yeah, I love having Chad uh, here because uh, whenever I see him in the hallways, I, I try and track him down because everyone's a little bit more on their A game when Chad's around. <laughs> you know, everyone sits sits up a little straighter. You know, the, there's there's no uh, there's no goofing off when Chad's yeah. around. It, like, it's yeah. goofing off responsibly. Station looks great. I mean, it looks clean. Everything's good. No it's, doubt. Yeah, it's absolutely. Good, good vibe here this morning. All right, we're gonna do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. Uh, whether you have tried this shower orange situation or not, if you would like to be heard for 15 seconds, you can feel free to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. this week as we end all programs by giving you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. All you have to do is dial 800-848-9222. Two open lines if you want to uh, take your place in the queue and uh, be say anything within reason for 15 seconds. Uh, and by the way, Ron DeSantis wasn't... I'm not taking anything away from Ron DeSantis's um, naval service, but he was not a Navy SEAL. He was in the Navy, but he was in the uh, JAG Corps, and he was in the Navy Reserves, and uh, you know he was a lieutenant commander 
And look, there's only one person in this studio that's been in the Navy, and his name's not Frank Morano, so I'm not taking anything away from him. But there's a big difference between that and being a Navy SEAL. That's a different ballgame. Just, you know, if any Navy SEALs are listening. All right, 800-848-9222. The other side of midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Steve! Sizzle E. Frank! Yes, uh, Frank, does uh, Mayor Adams, uh, is he aware that the Municipal City Charter is stating to him, no mas, no mas, it can't take anymore? Mike. Morning, Frank. While napping today in the Sinatra room, I sure hope you don't dream of Roger Stone twerking. That would be nightmarish. Raji. Since the 1980s, the Oscars, Miss Universe, etc., even Eurovision have been a sham and politically correct fiascos and rarely ever most deserving ones victorious. Roger. I guess the governor of New Jersey forgot the old saying, like him who is without fault, the first one to cast down a statue. There's a statue in Newark that depicts a career criminal with long rap sheet who allegedly pointed a pistol at a pregnant... Russ. Distribute Yeezy's Adidas sneakers to the people going to the Broadway play parade so they can run away from the truth about the rapist murderer of 13-year-old Little Mary Fagan. Leo Frank received a form of street justice. Charles. Yeah, I've I've often um, recommended four books for people to read, friends and so on. The three actually are exactly the ones that Frank Morano mentioned. And the other one is by Dale Carnegie, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. It's a masterpiece. And finally, Ralph. Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Thank you. On that note, uh, that slams the lid on things for today. Uh, It's been a great week. Thank you. Uh, If you missed any portion of the show, catch up on the podcast. Search The Other Side of Midnight on any podcast app. Frank Morano, good day.